Ho, ho, ho! Happy Christmas and welcome to a very special episode 23 of Agma Optics! A podcast where adults discuss, overanalyze and generally take a kid's toy and media franchise a little too seriously. Usually that of the Transformers. And today we are discussing quite possibly the most influential piece of Transformers media ever created. And not just that, it's Christmas! Woo! Sorta. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and to celebrate, we've got the whole gang together. I am your festive host, Ryan Gear, and with me around the virtual table are the returning guest hosts, Michael Quintesson. Hello. Hello. Hi. Virtual Amy, say hello. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Galactosh. Hello. Hello. And of course, my long-suffering co-host, Virtual Dave. Say hello, Virtual Dave. Hello, hello. Merry Christmas. Yes, it's definitely Christmas. It's (laughs) not November. (laughs) Welcome to the Agma Optics Christmas Party. And what better way to enjoy the festive season than watching and commenting on the cartoon that kicked off Transformers for many, that of Transformers Arrival from Cybertron best known to those not growing up in the UK in the 80s as More Than Meets the Eye Parts 1, 2 and 3. So as we all know, the Transformers toy line, retrospectively referred to as Generation 1, launched in 1984, accompanied by a comic book and a TV series as part of a nefarious and incredibly effective three-pronged attack by Hasbro (laughs) on the kids of the time and to empty their parents' wallets. On September the 17th, 1984, the very first episode of the now legendary cartoon produced by Marvel and Sombo Productions and animated by Toei Animation aired in the good old US of A. The first part of a three-part miniseries that kicked off the whole damn thing. Now here in the UK, unless you were lucky enough to have satellite or cable TV at home, which is pretty rare to be honest, uh, you most likely didn't get to experience it until two years later when our saviours, Video Gems, released all three episodes on a VHS titled Arrival from Cybertron. So, uh, let's ease into this by discussing our experience of this sacred artefact. Who wants to start? (laughs) Don't all put your hands (laughs) at once. Well, for me, it was one Christmas morning, waking up and unwrapping a present from Santa, Mm. which was a VHS copy that said Arrival from Cybertron on it. At this point, I only had a one little tiny Transformer. I had Gears. Mm. And that was my entire knowledge of Transformers at that point, because I don't think Wackaday had started broadcasting it yet. Very likely, yeah. And so that was it. I sat in front of... I knew I had a toy of it. Now I had a video of it. <laughs> and then I had to wait for my parents to let me use the VHS player to watch it. And did you watch it on Christmas Day? Probably not. No, my oh. parents. I probably had to wait a couple of days. <laughs> How about you, Amy? Uh, my first experience of it was watching it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, um, I thought as much. Yeah. Virtual Dave has been getting me slowly into the Transformers franchise, but in a bit of a funny order, I think. <laughs> well, he dragged you along to TF Nation, didn't he? So, yeah. A, a yeah, trial that's by what fire, I'm saying. For sure. That was definitely it's one of my... It's cosplay next. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my um, first forays into the fandom was just being headfirst into the convention. Yeah, brave, very brave. <laughs> so Dave, what was your first experience of these three episodes, this mini-series as it were? 
Uh, I can't remember when I watched More Than Meets the Eye specifically, mm-hmm. but I definitely saw Transformers episodes on VHS as well. I couldn't tell you what which episode it was, but it was like a, it was one of those. Well, I'm sure you guys would know about it. It was like one of those tapes where you'd have multiple different cartoons on it, and Transformers was just one of them. Uh, yeah. I think that now I've seen stuff like this. You'd get like maybe you get a GI Joe episode or a Thundercats. Yeah, well. yeah. There was there was all sorts of different cartoons on it, and Transformers was one of them. It was something that was given to me, and I never had the case, so I couldn't tell you much more about it. But I, I remember watching that at a very young age, and that had one of the Transformers episodes. Um, and I didn't watch more than meets the eye until I bought the DVDs many years later. In that that steel box set you could get from HMV. Yeah, I know the one. Uh, yeah. So basically, for you, it was just the first three episodes of season one, and that was it, really. You moved on to episode four. Yeah, yeah, that was it. It was <laughs> it was a random episode or two I watched, and probably didn't think much mm-hmm. of it, because it wasn't until much later when I really started to get into Transformers. But yeah, that's my introduction. Hmm. So, uh, well, Michael, how about you? Well, yeah, I mean... I also would have seen it on VHS on Video Gems range. And I, I, I basically, I, I've no idea when I first saw this. Like, I feel, it feels like something I've just sort of just has always been in existence. <laughs> and I think it's probably the first, almost certainly the first, like, Transformers cartoon or bit of media that I saw, mm. I think. I don't also I also can't remember if I had any toys before I saw this. I think probably I did have one or two. But it was very much like you could I never owned it. You could rent it from the local video shops. Me and my brother used to just get it out quite often and mm-hmm. sort of re- relive the exciting story we're about to discuss. Yeah. My my experience is more similar to that of um, Michael and Glactosh. We had the VHS. I have no idea when we got the VHS. It was just there. Like, it's just one of the many cartoon VHSs we had in the house with me and my two brothers. I reckon we we probably still have the VHS somewhere. I reckon um, my brother, who is vi- the Vidi printer who makes the outro music for this podcast, I think he's probably got it because he is well into his videos. But, I mean, it was just... it's I've seen it so many times that it's, like, etched into my subconscious. <laughs> I, I mean, I rewatched it the other day and it was... I was like, I know ev- I know it beat by beat, pretty much. Yeah, I, I sort of had a similar thing. Where, I mean, I haven't, you know, I probably haven't seen it in over 20 years. Mm. Uh, and I was just still like, you know, when I actually watched it for this, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I remember this bit. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> they start building a spaceship. <laughs> Rumble smashes the ground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. About this. Yeah, I know what bit of incidental music is going to start at what point. Mm. <laughs> got that one sting from that episode stuck in my head because i've forgotten about it and a bit goes duh, 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 duh. <laughs> <laughs> well there's the famous um insignia twirling na, 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 na. Ching! yeah yeah that's the sting there's like one of the one of the themes in the in it sort of reminds me it feels like it's like you know like a, a hard-boiled cop like piece of music or something and it's got like tru- it's got like like saxophones in it. I was just like, this just doesn't feel like very sci-fi. It just sort of feels more like it could be like Dick Tracy. A Dick Tracy cartoon <laughs> would have this music. But then, like, I remember I saw the the GI Joe movie 
years and years ago, or maybe I saw some of the cartoon and I realized that they'd actually just used some of the same bits of music for the Transformers. You know, there's one that's got a very like military beat, you know, it's like, yeah, that's from G. I was like, that's from G.I. Joe. That's why it sounds like a military march. Yeah, they did reuse some of the stuff from G.I. Joe. I think it's the same, the same composer. Orion is correct. The background music was composed by Robert J. Walsh, who did indeed work on the G.I. Joe cartoon. Many of his pieces from G.I. Joe were reused in Transformers, as well as new pieces composed specifically for the Transformers. I probably probably would have got some toys before seeing it. I didn't know that it came out two years after the toy line, like as in on VHS, so that means it came out the same year as the movie. Wow. Yeah, that's weird. But I suppose I didn't see the movie till a few years after it came out on VHS anyway, so... Yeah, I mean, I think the whole VHS, it was almost like quite a new thing in itself. Mm. So they didn't get stuff out on a tight schedule, you know, that was going to be out in like sort of eight months after it was released on TV or cinema. It would have been like... I definitely went to the cinema to see the movie. Did you? I think you, you might be one of the only people who did. Yeah, I mean, as we discussed on our uh, last year's kind of Christmas episode, which was about the movie... I didn't go to see it at the cinema. I went to see Care Bears the movie, weirdly, but I didn't go to see Transformers the movie. I saw that as well. God knows why. So you're, you're the only one who went to see it at the cinema. Uh, so uh, congrats. Yeah, I definitely remember it. The toys were definitely out because the kid who sat in front of me just kept reeling off which one he had. <laughs> I, uh... Uh, and that really vexed me. And then he probably got very sad that they were all being killed. I think, I think his mum was more sad than he was. <laughs> <laughs> just saw the potential for more toys to buy yeah it's like I see what they're doing here <laughs> this kid apparently had all of them uh, but the way he was rattling them off he had all these ones that I'm going blaster you've got a blaster nobody really? had a blaster how did you get that yeah, yeah so I think this was some sport child and I'm sitting there going I've got gears where's gears in this film <laughs> what do you mean he's not in this film <laughs> Pretty lucky he wasn't in it, or he would have been <laughs> murdered with the rest of them. No, he said he was just murdered in the background. <laughs> yeah, Braun bought it during that movie, didn't yeah. he? So, yeah. um, at this point, obviously, being shot in the arm just kills you instantly. Whereas previously, as we were discussing, rather from Cybertron, being shot doesn't seem to be much of a problem. No, just walk it off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about rather from Cybertron. How about? Dave, what are your thoughts on Arrival from Cybertron? Uh, maybe you could give us roughly your your take on the plot. I always enjoy your your takes on plots. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, first, um, when you approached uh, me about doing this episode, I was a little confused about what you were talking about because Arrival mm-hmm. from Cybertron is just not how I know it, and it's uh, if anything. It feels like something from one of the later shows. Those words is not something I associate with G1. Um, it's always been more than meets the eye to me. But yes, um, it's how it all kicks off. And it, the three episodes, the little mini arc, explains everything you really you need to know about Transformers. How they end up on Earth. Their interaction with humans. Yeah. What the Decepticons' goal are while they're there. And, you know what different things you can shove into an empty cube to make energy. Uh, apparently anything. <laughs> you know? so yeah, that's it. It's um, it's the foundation that really set in stone 
not only the characters, but like the personality of the characters. Sometimes the special abilities the characters have, you know, that they don't always have. The, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's just really interesting, especially the stuff like the Autobots flying and how that was just only in this, really. And it kind of just yeah. gets forgotten about in the next episode afterwards. Like it. <laughs> well, I, I was reading that um, when they made these episodes, they hadn't really set in stone the whole idea that Autobots didn't fly and Decepticons did. But they then edited the episode so there was less Autobot flying in it because (laughs) (laughs) I I suppose it's a pilot episode really isn't it so they have made a few sort of changes to you know the the setup and the ideas like by the time they go into like full production with the cartoon I suppose yeah I forgot about the uh the whole um Prime needs the jetpack in the last episode like they already forget that he can fly (laughs) 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 at the end of the arc (laughs) yeah I mean, I explain that by he needs the jetpack so he can fly as fast as a as, as a space Okay, cruiser. fair enough. <laughs> I, I would yeah, go yeah. along with that. That's, that's, that's reasonable. <laughs> because there is a point where um, where Ironhide and I think it's Blue Streak chase the Decepticons flying, and they say something like, "Oh, we're we're much slower than they are." Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> but what to be honest though, what it doesn't it doesn't explain though is why. Spoilers, Mirage has to use a parachute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. I just I think Mirage himself possibly flies earlier <laughs> in, the, uh, in the story. But yeah, um I mean it, it all starts with the intro, which I think is cla- a classic, absolutely perfect. Well, fantastic <laughs> music. Well you say about the intro. So it's one thing that got me, because I hadn't seen it in years until I watched it again last night. Why when Will, Jack and Bumblebee get um, ambushed by some Decepticons uh, just sort of hanging around on the end of a road, so it looks like they're having a fag, um, do they go, oh no, this is bad, we better stop, I'm going to put my shields up, then they go, oh look, there they are, they fire at them, and then their response to get out of it is, oh well we'll just drive at them. Yeah. Why don't they just drive at them in the first place? Just <laughs> got to try a few things. <laughs> They, they try getting out and getting a fire extinguisher mm-hmm. out. Yep. And then just ended up doing exactly the same thing that they were doing before they stopped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you do have to suspend your disbelief quite a lot throughout the whole three episodes, to be honest. It's just that really took me out of it. <laughs> I love that Bumblebee transformed um, and got out. Well, he got out of Willjack and um, he shot the wrong way. Like, he got out and he was... <laughs> They're <laughs> over there. Yeah, he shot in two different directions. I think. Didn't he? Oh, that's that's just American shooting. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's quite clever because if you're going to have Optimus Prime make as many mistakes as he does in the series, then you're going to have to make his comrades make even bigger mistakes in contrast, so that you can see why he's a leader. <laughs> that's a very good point. He makes quite a lot of mistakes, but it's not sort of sold as like, oh, he's new to leadership. It's more just like, this is just what he's like. He's going to try to try some, like, got-off-the-cuff schemes. But at least he doesn't drive at his enemies to escape them. Mm. No. Well, probably he did at one point. He will at some point, I'm sure. I think he's done stuff like that as well. Well, he did, he did decide to drive up to a mine where there's a, he knows there's a bomb about to go off. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. yeah, and then just park outside while they're doing stealth. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little yeah. bit here. I think we've got plenty of time to talk about that bomb. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get on to it. Let's, let's let's talk about part one first. Okay, you've got like three it's three parts, and they're kind of distinct in a way. There's there's different bits to each one. Like I, I know it's like part one is very much kind of the exposition explaining who the Autobots and Decepticons are, what Cybertron is, and why the war's going on, why they have to leave Cybertron. Which is that they're running out of resources, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very, very pertinent to modern day. Mm. This is what we're going to have to do. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to build an ark and fly out into space and look for energy. And then steal it from the locals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you can see people doing that. So you've got, so you've got like Bumblebee and Wheeljack scavenging for energy. And then, uh, and then they start throwing in kind of all these... Uh, you know, space jargon. So you know that they're aliens because, you know, they say things like Quartex and uh, um, Megamile and crazy stuff like that. They're all still very car-related, though. Yeah, they are, yeah. They talk about drive plates yeah. and, uh, and, and... Um... My axle! My rear yeah, axle! exactly. Yeah, you know, like, Megamiles. Mm. It's like... I would think if it was scaled for Cybertron, they should be a lot... Smaller than Earth Mile. Because I'd think one mega mile would possibly go ten times around the whole planet. <laughs> Especially scenes that I assume they uh, they transform into much larger vehicles than they do on Earth because there's room for Transformers to sit inside them. Ah. Uh, <laughs> well, well, Bumblebee's little. <laughs> yeah. But they've all got cockpits, you know? Yes. But it's like, well, why? Who's going to sit in the cockpit? Actually, there's a few sort of... I've got a few gripes I want to raise at this point. Go, go ahead. These are more like things that annoyed me when I was like seven years old that still kind of annoy me when I think about them. One is, I was always annoyed that the early range of Transformers had little opening hatches where you could, in theory, sit little people, but there were no little people. Yeah. And that, that bugged me. It bugged the hell out of me back then. I, you know, went to the extent of trying to put Zoids guys in there and stuff oh, like that. Oh, I did that, They yeah. fit perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I later found out that this was because it came from a different toy range. So the, the Cybertron stuff, it's like, I, re- I always really liked the Cybertron intro. You know, it was just quite an exciting like, sci-fi setting to, to start with, but it annoyed me and still, it still seems sort of irritating that when they, they have their Cybertron vehicle modes, but when they change to robots, they've got like Earth plane wings mm. and sort of <laughs> the front of a normal truck. <laughs> And, th- and again, at the time, I was like, yeah, I don't really know like why this is. <laughs> but obviously, it's they just didn't want to do more design work on this relatively quick turnaround. Yep. No, I, I, that's in my notes, too. So we should be grateful for what we've got. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think they're like, well, we've, we've done the character models. We're not going to do second character models just for the first five minutes of the episode. But think of the toys. Yep. They could sell them. But, but, but Galactosh, they, those toys didn't exist. And at the time, they were yeah. just borrowing toys from old lines. They weren't designing their own. Yeah. They had no forward thinking. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I also think, like, having rewatched this, I'm like, this, this does not, like, date very well. I mean, it dates much, much worse than the movie. It seems incredibly clunky mm. compared to, like, a modern, like, kid's cartoon. But they just didn't have the time, I think. They just did these things really, really fast, basically. Apparently, they, it took four months to make an episode, whereas now it's more like a year or so they would spend on, like, a single episode from, like, writing to... You know, I think in a modern cartoon, yeah. they would spend, like, a lot longer. And I guess they just have a bit... Maybe they have a bit more money for it? I don't know. Mm. Just the schedule has changed, but apparently they just had to do these quite fast, and it's why, like, you know, later on, I, I noticed that, like, there was a scene where you see Prowl from behind and he's got Bumblebee's head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's loads of miscolors. That would happen now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
as well. <laughs> and there's people saying other people's lines. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. There's a great bit in the first episode where so they've taken off. The Autobots take off in the arc to go and get more energy. And obviously, well, not obviously, but the, the Decepticons know this because um, Laserbeak was spying on them. Um, and they set off after them in their own ship and they board their ship. And the bit where they are boarding the ship, Prime shouts, prepare for battle. And then he shouts, attack, attack, in Megatron's voice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They shoot the scene twice. It's just Prime pointing. <laughs> And he comes back in. Yes, and, and it's repeated too. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it. There's a there's a lot of animation errors and a lot of uh. Yeah, it was made pretty pretty quickly, I think. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, so that all that happens, then they crash on on what is obviously a. Before that, though, mm. if they're a race of technologically superior alien robots. Yeah. Why did they not notice two massive asteroids about to collide just outside of Cybertron? Uh, maybe the Vutrex was faulty. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I suppose that would explain everything, but you know. They didn't have enough power for their radar. Uh... <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe they were uh, conserving energy, so they didn't bother with that. But yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a bit where Prowl just weirdly goes, uh, Vutrex report, and you're like, what's a Vutrex? Okay, fine. Is it just a window? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so yeah, they crash land on Earth and uh, lie dormant for four million years, which seems like a hell of a heck of a long time, to be honest. Yeah, I I sort of noticed this a bit this time, and I I thought, I mean, I wonder if anyone's got a view on this, but like, what what actual story purpose does the four million year jump serve? It feels like pretty arbitrary. Like, they could have just crashed in a remote place and like just started doing the same stuff they did anyway. That's a very good question. <laughs> the Mandela effect for me, from when I was a kid, I remember as a kid there were dinosaurs, and then four million mm. years later, and there's no dinosaurs. But I watched it again, there aren't dinosaurs I think there. I, I feel like I remember dinosaurs. There weren't dinosaurs <laughs> yeah. there in the version I saw. Was there more than one version of this? Maybe we're confusing the comic version. Yeah, I think so. Maybe. <laughs> that is always possible. Mm. I, I think I've done that in a few places, actually, more of which later. Yeah. <laughs> when they leave Cybertron, I think Megatron says to to Shockwave to, uh, you know, keep things as they are yeah. on Cybertron. And he does a very good job, because four million <laughs> years later, it looks no different. Yeah. Yes, but is, I've always wondered, is Shockwave now a little crazy? He's been on his own <laughs> yeah. for four million years, just go, just getting his uh, little uh, dustpan and brush out, clearing it up around the place, going, yeah. everything's fine. He's just been polishing something from his little rag for four million years. <laughs> and he seems like exactly the same, like this isn't, hasn't bothered him yeah. at all. They make it sound like he's literally the only person they've left there. Like, mm. You're the only Decepticon here. Yeah. Yeah. All the Autobots have gone, so you're here on your own. But there's a bit near the end where Megatron's of this, I mean, where Megatron says something like, "We we can now go back and conquer Cybertron," and I thought, "But there's there's no one there except yeah. like <laughs> guy who who already works for you." Shockwave has literally conquered it on his own, <laughs> or is there? I mean, are we meant to think that there are loads more Transformers there, but they we just don't see them because of like budget restrictions? Yeah, so, I, I think that. How do we? How, what is the? What's the official version here? I'm not sure, but I think there must be because. They tend to get 
new guys appearing, and I think they're mm. coming from Cybertron, a lot of them. Well, some of them get built on Earth, but not all of them. Sometimes they get built, but sometimes they sort of seem to come from Cybertron, and sometimes they're just there. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> they've been there before, before them as well. Like, isn't Jetfire just found in the ice? Yeah. Yeah. But definitely within the, within these three episodes, you, the impression is given that all the Autobots are on the Ark, and only, only uh, Shockwave is left behind, pretty much. Yeah. But I think there's a bit of retconning later, I think, maybe. <laughs> no, sure. I mean, I think it, it, it's not that clear, I think. There's, there's, there's room for retconning. And retconning there indeed is. Season 2 episode, The Search for Alpha Trion, reveals that Alita 1 and five more female Autobots remained on Cybertron and are secretly stealing Shockwave's Energon. However, Shockwave still appears to be holding down the fort more or less on his own and is only assisted by weird, non-transforming, non-sentient sentinel robots that look like flying ovens. A flashback informs us that Alita and her team wanted to leave on the Ark with her boyfriend Optimus Prime, but he tells her it's too dangerous for a woman and that she should stay at home or something. Then some missiles hit the launch pad, and in typical Optimus Prime style, he assumes she's been killed without bothering to check. Otherwise, Cybertron seems totally deserted, Megatron even has to send a team led by Starscream to assist Shockwave, suggesting that he has no Decepticon subordinates of his own. Although you have to keep you have to keep in mind that four million years might not be a long time for Transformers. Like it could just be a week for them. Uh, it could be just like a mega year. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's unclear. That's very unclear. Like how they how they think how they feel about that. Like they don't really discuss it. <laughs> just sort of kill them. Yeah. Maybe it's kind of to establish that time is meaningless to them to make them that bit more unhuman and scary. Mm-hmm. Mm. They seem in a pretty much of a hurry for everything, though. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> They're embracing our culture. <laughs> yeah. They don't, they don't go, oh, I'm just going to go and think about this for a couple of million <laughs> years and uh, then uh, we'll, we'll get on with things. <laughs> I forgot to bring up the fact that uh, uh, Soundwave decides to hide himself as a ro- strangely robot-looking uh, structure on the side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit... That, that's a coincidence, isn't it? That, that like, there's a, They've got a little sort of bit of roadwork stuff that just looks a lot like Soundwave. And <laughs> down his neck. It's essentially a traffic light. It's a traffic light, yeah. yeah. Is, that, is that what he is in Cybertron? Yeah. Also, like, why would he have cassette tapes on Cybertron? Mm. Data discs. Yeah. I mean, if, if, of all the Transformers, he is probably one of the most dated ones purely because of his alt mode being so unknown of now. Like, most people don't... Yeah. I mean, a tape deck, it's just not, it's not a thing people have anymore. Oh, I think that was smart, because people love retro nowadays, like... Very sellable. Well, yeah, I don't think they were thinking that at the time, though. <laughs> no, that was cutting age in 1984. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, cr- we're crash-landed, and uh, there's an eruption, because they've crash-landed into the side of a dormant volcano, because why not? Reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and there's an eruption. Uh, Mount St. Helens erupts, and it basically causes... Um, it basically reboots Teletron 1 somehow. <laughs> And it comes online and uh, decides to um, repair everybody. Well, it only decides to repair, uh, what's his name? The purple plane one. Skywarp. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it repairs Skywarp and then Skywarp starts dragging all of the Decepticons under the repair beam. As you would. Yep. Repair, repair. Yeah. Explore, explore. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it does one of the, my favourite things in Transformers is that it mistakes vehicles for the dominant life form on the planet and uh, therefore makes them transform into vehicles, obviously. Imagine if it had got it right. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Like, what would that, how would that be? I mean, you can get the, the animals don't, you know, they don't actually look like animals, but they have been like weird. Beast mm. Wars! <laughs> yeah, but not not in this. I mean, there's like laser beak. I think there's even a bit where they're like, they summon to use laser beak and they're like, what in the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the Decepticons piss off in a vague and ambitious plan to. Uh, conquer the universe. Yeah, the, f- the first of a series of like unforced errors, but they they could have just sort of smashed up the Autobots completely at that point. While this revival beam thing is still running, this is literally the first point where Starscream has proved to be correct. Throughout <laughs> mm-hmm. this entire story, Starscream has many moments where it's like, well, if Megatron hadn't stopped him, he was doing the right thing. Mm. Right, Starscream's trying to go, let's blow an Alter Kingdom come, let's make sure they can't ever come back. And he goes, no, leave them! And it's like, okay. Mm. <laughs> Doesn't Starscream also, like, disrupt the ship and knock one of them into the revival sort of teletran beam? Yeah. Yeah, but imagine, if it carried on shooting, that wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. No. It's true, actually. Catalogue of errors. Basically, the kind of earthquake that he causes by um, blowing up some rocks and stuff causes prime to fall into the beam yeah again yes. again yeah. they could have they could have turned that beam off they could have just blown up that beam yeah unless they've got a beam to fix the beam <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um that that causes it and prime gets reformatted and when he gets up he, he thanks the computer which is very very nice of him he gives him a thumbs up he just goes <laughs> yeah thanks yeah. <laughs> and it's like da, 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 da. <laughs> I think it shows his character ineffectual. But I think you're right. The thing with Starscream, it's uh, it causes the um, the conflict between him and Megatron, and it, it's it, it's one of the few Decepticons who really gets like his character come through in these early episodes of like yeah, he's uh aspirations of being leader he's not yep. he's not shy about that even talk- no no it's just no. like but I, th- I think you're, in a way like I, I think you're kind of right in the this is of course for children and i think they, they're mm. very they're very they're very broad strokes about who you know the characters who they are and their motivations but like they, some of them do come through like fairly you know fairly well like you definitely know what starscream's about you, but you've no doubt by the end of this that he dislikes megatron and wants to be the leader yeah, he makes no bones mm-hmm. about it at all. He, he's constantly uh, being insubordinate. Yeah. And um, and Megatron kind of puts up with it most of the time. At one point he shoots him in the arm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he's just like, we're getting on with it now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I like when, he, when Megatron sends him off with Rumble and Soundwave when they get to whatever refinery or whatever. Yeah. He has a little chat with Rumble about it. Like, one day I'm going to lead... And take over Megatron, and yeah. Rumble's like, what are, you, what are you talking about, mate? You can't do that. Megatron's unbeatable. Mm. <laughs> yes, they have a whole chance. And, <laughs> and Starscream's like, well, I think, I think that there's a bit where he sort of hints, he's like, I'll climb the greasy pole one day, I'll be leader. And it is true, <laughs> but only for yeah. maybe 45 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> 
but nevertheless yeah. actually correct. <laughs> so, I mean, Amy, what's your take on Starscream? Um, I I think there's something going on there. I think he knows too much, and that's why Megatron won't get rid of him. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. He does seem to keep him around when there yeah. really doesn't seem to be much reason. He's he's like the Gavin Williamson of the Decepticons. <laughs> <laughs> he knows where the bodies are buried. Like he's a, he's a blunt instrument. Like he's not. He's a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> like, kind of got to keep him on side, otherwise, it could be worse for you. Yeah, yeah. I've always seen the Starscream Megatron thing more as uh, the the monarch with his uh, sort of uppity next of kin prince mm. brother. It's like going, I should be in charge just because you were born before me doesn't mean I shouldn't be better. And it's like one day I will get you just because you transform into a distinct alt mode, and I've got mm-hmm. two other guys who look exactly like me. Um, therefore, I can't be boss. Uh, it's not fair, really. And, and he has got, for a leader, he's got a bit of a weird alt mode, to be honest, anyway. Like, turning into a handgun is... It's a strange choice. Yes. The fact that he let Starscream wield him That's as well. the thing. Mm. You think about it. So, the, the repair beam has gone out mm. and found a gun and gone, this is perfect for Megatron. <laughs> so, yeah. he's looking for what's going to be perfectly good, uh, you know, out modes for them to transform mm. into. Only in America. Would it be so numerous that he goes around and goes, well, there seems to be loads of guns everywhere. This would be perfect. Yeah. These guns must be dominant life forms. Yeah, that makes a bit less sense when you look at it that way. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, they basically piss off and start trying to steal energy so they can um, go back to Cybertron and take over. Uh, so- Soundwave does that thing where he's very, he's very lyrical and... Um, Goes on about. We can concentrate the energy into energon cubes and store them in the new space cruiser. <laughs> I get the impression that this is the first time they've ever thought of energon cubes because they keep yes. about testing. They're like, we're testing the energon cubes and it's like they're working and stuff like this. Mm. So this is like a new thing they've done, but Soundwave can just make them out of his chest panel seemingly without much much force. He must have invented them whilst on Cybertron. Yeah, but, something but like, like that. And you've just hit on another moment that Starscream's proved right, and yet Megatron's really unhappy about it. <laughs> We've never tested <laughs> these. Testing. How do we know they even work? Oh, we're going to get to that because there's there's, yeah. there's there's an amazing nonsensical double cross that happens at that point as well. So yeah, they piss off. They start building a base, and then very the quickly, actually, as well. Very, very quick work yeah. on this base. <laughs> Where are they getting all that purple metal from? Well, I just think that actually they didn't leave. They didn't leave a shockwave behind. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, they build this thing really quick, and and also Earth is pretty much all desert. Yeah, but they've also just found a massive power station. Yeah, just there. So they know something's around. So they just go up the road and build a huge structure in a place where they know people things are around. But go, yeah. Eh, no one will notice this mm-hmm. massive thing we're building. It'll be fine. <laughs> it's probably what the humans thought when they built the power station. <laughs> yeah, and we 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 uh, uh, we encounter our first humans mm. who are Joe and another guy <laughs> who their voices switch. <laughs> <laughs> who ravaged kind of has a fight with for no real reason then they then they run away there's a bit where ravage jumps on top of one of those guys and i was yeah. surely he would de- definitely be crushed to death by by this <laughs> <laughs> they sort of like tumble about like it's uh, yeah. playing with a little kitten <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but aren't they working on an oil rig? I bet that they're really, really fit guys. They're probably quite hardy, yeah. Oh, that's later. <laughs> yeah. I think they're just wearing <laughs> the same uniform. They, these people are just going to go, why does our power station stop working? Oh, pretty much everybody in, in every human in this wears uh, wellies and a hard hat. Yep, it was the eighties. Was that the look yeah. in the eighties? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that the look? <laughs> they're just, they're just driving a van around. Uh, I think they're meant to be like maybe they're meant to be manning that little power station they find or something. And they I think it's they've probably like just been called out because it's not working anymore. They're going to go. Oh, we've got to go fix it. <laughs> All right, come on. <laughs> so they sort of turn up and they're like, hmm, this, is, this shouldn't look like this. <laughs> and then they get attacked by a robot panther. <laughs> With missiles on its hips. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're not nearly as shocked by it as they really should be. They've seen some things in the desert. They sort of fill mm. out a form about it for the, the management, but they don't do much else. <laughs> See, I like to think it's like the Nevada desert, and they got so used to people coming out of Vegas to bury bodies. It's like, right, we'll just say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> what happens in the desert stays in the uh, desert. Well, quite, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, the episode culminates in, um, I don't know, I think I think Laserbeak finds the oil rig, doesn't he? And then the Decepticons go and go there to steal the oil. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is where we meet Spike and Sparkplug. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. One father, bring your child to, to work day. <laughs> yeah. I, I wrote this down in my notes. Like, Spike is a guy who works on the oil rig with his dad. <laughs> <laughs> his dad, who seems to uh, have also had, done a stint in a Burmese ruby mine. Yes. I feel like he's just worked. He's worked every like. He's just a job in engineer. That's all. Mining or oil rig job that you can do. <laughs> Anywhere where they let him wear his boots. Yeah, uh, <laughs> pretty much. Actually, also, like, I think so, I, I kind of want to talk about spark plugs specifically a bit, actually, because he, he he annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just I I always had it in my head that he was uh, an auto mechanic, mm. and he's called spark plug, which is a car part. Yeah, <laughs> and then I was like, no. When I watched this, I was like, no, he just seems to be a guy that works on an oil rig and is called Spark. He's an engineer. But then yeah. I, I put, put it all together and it's like, I think in the comic, which was published before the cartoon came out, mm. he was a mechanic. He was. But they, I don't know if they've repurposed the character or if they both started in the same place, but they, they sort of got to a point where they're like, well, we need a guy. This is about an oil rig, so Spark is an oil rig guy. And that's how we <laughs> introduce him. But like... They kept his name as if he was a mechanic. Yeah. It's really, really confusing. Yes, he was a mechanic in the comic book. Uh, he ran like a spark plug autos or whatever it was called. I think that also makes a lot of sense in terms of like introducing the characters that are robots that turn into automobiles. Mm. It's like a better like, setup. Nah, we don't need that. Like, nah, <laughs> ev- everyone in this works on a power plant or an oil rig. <laughs> and don't, don't worry about it. But we don't even find out his name until the, uh, much later on when he goes, "I'm Sparkplug," and it's like, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot of that. Well, to sell toys, there's a lot of um, people introducing themselves. Oh, we, we get the roll call coming up. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah I think that's... in the second episode. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, we're on the oil rig, and then the Autobots just fly up to the oil rig mm-hmm. to stop them. Uh, so here we go. This is this is the first time we see the Autobots flying superhero style, and thus thus beginning the entire confusion over who can and can't fly. <laughs> oh, as well, I I forgot. 
I love how when the Decepticons land on the old rig, all the humans like just throw little bits of metal at them. And, like, just, like, yeah, Come on! We'll just, just out of nowhere. They don't even know if they're good or bad. We'll just start throwing things at them. Pick up bits you know? of the oil rig and throw it at them for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know. I mean, how does the oil rig fall to pieces and everyone end up in the water? Oh, explosions. Megatron. Megatron <laughs> they keep throwing bits of it around. Yeah, that's yeah. probably it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> They're just very careless around it and it breaks. Because <laughs> they've all landed on there. So you've got your Decepticons. Your bots turn up and they all have their fight. They're all having one-on-one fights. There is mm. one bit, you can see it. They're all having a one-on-one fight. Bumblebee's just there. If he just turns slightly to his left, he shoots Megatron in the back of the head. Yeah, they're all just having one-on-one <laughs> fights, even though it makes no sense because there's people just stood around going, "Right, well, if I fire at this one, I could take it out because they're having a one-on-one with that one." <laughs> the whole thing could be over. Yeah, considering they've been at war for hundreds of millions of years, they're all still pretty yeah. green at yeah. fighting. <laughs> if, if, if he had shot Megatron in the head, Megatron would have just had to lie down on the floor for like six seconds and then get up despite his <laughs> and then like get on with his business. <laughs> so yeah, the Autobots instantly forget they can fly and start swimming. Mm-hmm. Huffer starts drowning. Which seems much less plausible than them being able to fly even. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, they, they must weigh tons. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and that's that's kind of the cliffhanger, isn't it? Like, I think the mm-hmm. Decepticons piss off and leave the Autobots swimming around, and basically they have to save the humans, don't they? So yeah, yeah. Oh, and Huffer, they have to save Huffer as well because he's got his arm trapped <laughs> in a bit of metal. Yeah, right, which if he moved his arm backwards, would just pull out of. But mm. and he's also he can yeah. also fly, but so. he hates fire and water, oh, so he's oh. in the right place. <laughs> So episode two, we have, um, I mean, I, I rewatched the episodes on YouTube, so it's the, the American version. You have a recap, which you don't, I don't think you had in the, on the VHS. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah. It maybe just ran as one thing, actually, didn't it? I think it, it did. As, it was like a continuous hour. Mm. But the recap is, is at incredible speed. <laughs> just goes blah 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 blah. And now on the Transformers, and we move straight into the next bit. Uh, where the Autobots start saving the day. They can all fly again now. They've all remembered they can fly. And they've all got magic hands. <laughs> yes. Yes. In, that's what I was going to say. This part is the part where we start revealing everyone's got magical special powers or tools. Uh, and or, strange energy weapons. Yeah, gadgets mm-hmm. and stuff. It's not like they've got Swiss hand, army hands either, though. They've all got this one specific thing. Yeah. Because Jazz gets out his, uh, his winch. Which is the only thing he ever gets yeah, out which later. which he uses a lot. Mm-hmm. He uses it like every episode, pretty much. He uses it quite <laughs> a lot of times. And he's the only guy who's got one. Even though Hound's a... Yeah, anyway, don't worry. <laughs> Hound should have one, because he's a... Yeah. He's, a <laughs> he's, he's got one on his chest. <laughs> he could fire it out of his chest easily, you know? like He's got that hook and um, spool thing on the front of his chest. Yeah. But yeah, we do get like um, Trailbreaker. Trailbreaker has a force field. Jazz has that grapnel launcher. Hound uses holograms. Mirage, Mirage can turn invisible. Yep. Gears has infrared, which yeah. just seems to be a red light, to be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Starscream has something called the Null Ray. Yes. Which gets mentioned about five times, and I don't think you ever hear about it again after which this. Which seems to just be an on-off switch for machinery. 
Yeah. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't always turn <laughs> things off. Like when he shoots like Megatron with it, it doesn't turn him off. <laughs> no. Does it turn him on? Well, Megatron's ma- made of certain stuff. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because he had a for- he had a weird shield when he shot him. Oh yeah, he did didn't he? Yeah, he, he had a yeah. a, 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 for- a shield that came out of his arm for some reason. Yeah. Well, to go go in the mace. Never use it again. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there was that arm shield. I mean, I I was like, this is another thing that I was I was like, I had a mild obsession with as a child was like the axe and um, you know ball and chain thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prime and Megatron had in that fight because I was I think it was just also the fact that you could take Prime's hands off, you could take the toy's hands off. Yeah, made made me imagine that there was some sort of axe I could get that was like out there somewhere in the world. <laughs> nice slot into uh, into his arm, but yeah. If you went and got He Man's axe, it did fit. Oh wow! <laughs> and the, those scenes, those scenes with those energy weapons are responsible for the fact that every Optimus Prime and Megatron ever since has come with a laser yeah. axe, Energon axe, and Energon mace. Indeed, it wasn't until the Japanese exclusive 2002 reissue that the original G1 Optimus Prime toy finally came with an Energon axe. Fulfilling Michael Quintesson's childhood dream. However, since G1 nostalgia and slavish show accuracy kicked in, the number of primes, G1 or otherwise, that have carried an axe inspired by these scenes in More Than Meets the Eye Part 2 are so numerous we can't be bothered to count them. But those weren't ever used in the car. I don't think they were used in the cartoon again after this. No. No. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I think this was like, it's just like an aborted idea, really. Like they were like, okay, we're going to have these kind of. And there's also Starscream has an energy slingshot. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. He does. Um, yeah. Which is another, I think, a sort of another similar thing that they're, they, you know, these like weird sort of sci-fi energy weapons, but then they just forgot about. They just dropped it. Well, he uses that slingshot. And he says something like, "Here's one star screen's been saving for you." He did say something like that. Yeah. And it's like one, one what? What is it? It's a little energy conquer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he only, yeah, he only uses it that one time. Mm-hmm. That's because he'd been saving it for this moment. Well, doesn't, doesn't Wheelie end up with it in the movie? Well, yes, it's true. True. Yeah, really yeah no, you're right. There is another. There is another one of these in in the in the saga. Really. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if Spike's diary is something they carry on with in the rest of the cartoon. It seems like I've I seem to sort of have a memory of him writing this diary. When, that's when he discovers Soundwave, and he's like, oh. That is, is amazing. And takes it inside. That whole <laughs> bit is amazing. It's just like, oh, I'm, I'm writing, I'm sitting around. Oh, look, there's a tape deck right out in the middle of all this with a strange symbol on the front. Wonder whose it is. I'll yeah. take it in with me. Oh, well, I'm not going to take it to show anyone and ask if it's theirs. I'm going to leave it right by the yeah. door on this little wall. And now I'm going to go and talk to some yeah. major plot points <laughs> with the rest of the Transformers. Yeah, I'm just going to leave yeah. it ne- right next to the major, the, yeah. the big computer full of he all essentially the leaves it right next to a USB port. This, this weird yeah. stuff I found in the desert belongs on the spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, he is right next to like a port, isn't he? And he just kind of like hacks in, and that's it. And that, I think that's how they find the dam in the first place. They like, for some reason, Teletran One has loads of information on Earth. Yeah, from all that scanning around, you know. That. Explore, explore. Just been scanning for millions of years. It's still going. It's still yeah. exploring. No one ever saw it finish <laughs> yeah. and come yeah. back. 
It's true, yeah. He's still flying around the place picking yeah. up information. By this point, it's worked out the humans are the dominant life form, but it's too late. Okay, here's another question. Does the Ark have like artificial gravity on it? Because otherwise you'd think they'd just all be like, rolling around, yeah. rolling down the all the time. It's a funny angle that's launched yeah. in there. I just yeah, assume got... they've just got magnetic feet. What about well, spike and spark plug? Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. What about spike and spark plug, yeah. <laughs> They've worked on all rigs. Magnetic wellies. I know. Um, <laughs> Maybe the floor transformed to be level. Of, talking of, did you notice? I think it's in the first episode. They've got like a shed. Yes. They've got. They've yeah. got the, the the ark is smashed into the side of that that mountain side, and then there's this little outhouse that they. They have. Never see that again. Mm. Well, that maybe it's because um, Teltran 1 hadn't fixed the toilets yet. Yeah. So they had to have an outhouse. <laughs> to drop off the Energon kit at the pool. But yeah, so, 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 so it seems we've already mentioned it. There's the, the, the famous dam top fight. They go to a, a hydroelectric plant, which um, they decide to basically... Uh, what's the word? They're going to overpower it by, by getting more water through it by causing an earthquake. Yeah. We're basically going to destroy it, but in the process, get much more energy as a result. Yeah, it's something. Mm-hmm. It's it's a bit. It's something that probably isn't a real thing. It's not a geologically sound principle. I promise you. <laughs> There's a few yeah. things like that in this, <laughs> which we'll also we'll also talk about. Yeah. So yeah, um, Rumble goes to the bottom of the river and starts a tidal wave, yeah. basically. Yeah. This is a really cool shot of him walking into the water. It's like. Mm-hmm. Other than his little moment to shine, I was really like that shot of him walking in, almost like you could hear like the Terminator music playing in the background. He is actually an amazing character in this. He's like some like New York hoodlum (laughs) wearing dark glasses who just swaggers around. Yeah, he has a funny accent, doesn't he? Hey! You messed with the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that kind of. Uh, he's that kind of guy. You expect him to get out a sort of a, an energy flick knife any any moment and just have someone up by the throat with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like a little hoodlum. Talking of gadgets, like they send Hound in the water after him, and and Hound has like a a, a shield that goes over his face. Yes, because he needs oxygen to breathe. By the sound of it, <laughs> but Rumble doesn't. No, for some reason. And Spike's really worried that Hound's going to drown, so he goes in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and almost yeah. kills himself. Which leads to the famous, very iffy oh, looking, God. Yes. <laughs> you've almost flooded your engine scene. Oh, oh and yes. the even more iffy, yeah. so I, when Spike <laughs> thanks Hound for you saved my life, he goes, we're even. And it's like, what are you even for? <laughs> well, no, because Hound is trapped under a rock that Spike superhumanly picks up and throws to one side. He picks up a rock from the side of Hound, and Hound decides then, oh, I could push all the ones above me now. <laughs> well, yeah. Same work. And while we're on Hound, why does he sound like Jimmy Stewart? Was that a purposeful <laughs> I, choice? I hadn't thought But that. the whole thing, watching it all the way through it, and going, why is he doing a James Stewart impression? <laughs> <laughs> well, they've all got really distinct personalities. I think that's one thing that's really quite good about yeah. it. Yeah. The, the voice acting, I, I mean, I think I, I was saying earlier, I think it's dated badly. I think the voice acting was often pretty good in this, actually. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are very, dis- they do seem to have quite distinctive um, personalities, just even based on their sort of voices. Yeah, I read a bit about this, and apparently the uh, the voice direction was by, done by a guy called Wally Burr, and apparently he was notorious for driving his performance to the limit. Really? <laughs> so <laughs> so he, he was obviously really going for it, making sure everyone had a a particular voice everyone has a different accent everyone's um 
very distinct personality-wise and characterization. Like you, yeah. you get the idea that that Mirage wants is just homesick, and doesn't want to ha- really just doesn't really want to be fighting at all, and um, mm-hmm. and then you've got Cliff Jumper who's just kind of a bit of a thug. Uh, <laughs> Cliff Jumper is up for a scrap. Yeah, absolutely. At all times. <laughs> and then you've got the kind of war veteran kind of Ironhide, as it were. They're all kind of quite. Um, it's distinct, which I think is one of the one of the strengths. I think it's quite good. Yeah, of the whole especially um, Soundwave as well. Like he's really uh, mm. the, the choice of having his voice with the auto tune. Yeah, yeah, memorable. Actually, absolutely yeah. memorable. Yeah, and I, I love that as a kid. I think that character. I think it was mm. it was odd. It was like this one has a very robotic voice, and he sort of just feels like quite a different kind of kind of character. It's all mm. very distinct. It's probably one of the reasons it worked. Actually, I, mm. I'd say Soundwave's very much a stoic mm. menace. He doesn't say a lot. And he's always just lurking in the <laughs> background. Yeah, in, even watching it as a kid, I knew that if anyone's got uh, Megatron's back, Soundwave's got it. Mm. He's like um, Maximilian in the dark uh, in, the, in the black hole. Well, I think he's just lying in wait. I think he's thinking, well, one day the top job will be mine. No, he doesn't he want it. it. <laughs> he comes to the movie. He's the one who sort of sticks up for Megatron. Yeah. He does have a go. He does have a go later, doesn't he? Sort of. No, he absolutely does want it. He defends Megatron until Megatron is thrown out of the ship and then immediately decides he's in charge. Is, is there ever a version... Is it, does Soundwave ever become leader in some version of the, of the story? Is there... Yes, in the, in the comic book, he's leader for a, a, a little while. Yeah. And what does that look like? It's, it's, it's all right. Yeah. He's a bit inscrutable, Soundwave, isn't he? You don't really know mm. like, what, he, what he wants, what he values. <laughs> <laughs> so So we have, we have a, like a montage of the Decepticons energy gathering. Does anyone else think it's really weird that they decide to squish the cubes with their hand? Yes. Yeah. So they're going, all oh, right, we've got an energon cube. How do we make it energon? Oh, squeeze. Yeah, we just compress yeah. it. <laughs> it's, it's like they wrote it backwards, isn't it? They're like, we made the cubes this size, and it's like, but they've got to carry them, and that's going to look awkward, so as soon as they squash them. <laughs> <laughs> so you could have just sort of gone back to the start and written it a bit differently. <laughs> I wonder if they had a toy design in the works where um, if you if you squished it, uh, they would light up and be rainbow coloured for a while. Well, that would be nice. <laughs> I, I would, yeah. I, I don't think they thought about it that hard. No. I don't think I use toy tech would have been up to <laughs> that anyway. Do you know what, though, actually? I, I did a little re- extra reading around some of the origin stuff, and I think apparently the kind of energy war concept actually comes from the, the Diaclone story, apparently. That was also... Mm. They they were also apparently in some some sort of war over an energy source in what it, I mean I'm not I don't know anything about the story of Diaclone but like yeah that, that I, it feels like they might have lifted it from that or sort of just that it's like that's a potential idea for this and they stuck with it yeah well I think um, Jim Shooter came up with the uh, whole um, the, the yeah the kind of war over resources that was his yeah. his contribution to the entire mythology mm-hmm. it's really interesting how it's um... The majority of G1, as far as I can remember, we only really see the Decepticons taking energy and then making Energon cubes from it. I think we only see the Autobots having like almost like uh, pods that they go in to re-energize in one episode. We don't really see how the Autobots get energy or how they charge up or if they have any Energon or anything. It's really yeah. vague on the Autobot side. Yeah, mm. oh, They're in a volcano, they're going geothermal. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so yeah, so then you have the ruby crystals of Burma. 
this this mythical every apparently everybody knows they're the richest source of energy yes on the face of the i was earth. gonna say you got rubies yes yeah that's how they work <laughs> <laughs> well i think that i think that for real like there are a lot of rubies in burma and mm. it's in place that they've been mined from but i mean I, th- I think they did there was some throwaway line possibly where megatron's saying oh the humans don't understand the energy potential of these yeah but there's also a bit just before when they're discussing all this spike can read cybertronian mm. yeah he's the one reading well, it off the screen that's in weird characters oh right <laughs> yeah okay fine i mean jazz is stood next to him but it's not like jazz no. is telling him he's he's, he's reading, reading it out to he? jazz yeah, he did a crash course. Yeah. <laughs> so either, which is very odd. Yeah, I was going to say he's just he just learned it really quickly, <laughs> yeah. or they yeah. just couldn't be bothered to animate it in English. No. <laughs> so they all. So, oh yeah. So then we've got the bit where um, where Starscream tests the Energon cubes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why, why does firing the cannon twice mean that they they have to do a whole other mission? Yeah. So you got Megatron going, "Oh, we've now got to use um we've now got to get more energy." So they decide that they're going to have to do another go to another place. That's where they come up with that weird plan. What like because of the the weird plan involving the rocket fuel stuff. Yeah. Oh, when when um, they capture Ravage. There's a lot of things about this that don't make I think from this point like it really starts to unravel in terms of making any sense at all. <laughs> bunch yeah. of stuff which is just absolute like what the fuck? Things are happening. Yeah, I think that's actually part three. So I think we're, we're, we're yes, yeah, I think we're, yeah. we're planning to go to Burma. <laughs> it ends in Burma. They do go to yeah. Burma, which looks exactly like North America, like exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, which is all necessary. I mean, I can understand that if they were doing it on location, but it's a cartoon, so could have just drawn a different backdrop. Back they could have drawn a didn't. bit of jungle in the background. <laughs> yeah, and everyone gone. Oh, that's Burma. <laughs> I suppose it's the same considerations in a way is so they it's just uh just could they you know just do they want to draw another background i guess not really <laughs> <laughs> maybe they didn't maybe they didn't want ups, didn't want to upset anyone in burma by blowing up such a location they just wanted to have a generic mm. uh, do you, mountain clear if the writers know that burma was a real place or not yeah do, do you think they really cared do they think you really cared about the Burmese's opinion on it at all? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think that's... Considering they were calling it Burma. I don't think they do. No. <laughs> I'm going to say no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so so the Decepticons go there to get the, the rubies. And um, they're in the mine and the Autobots turn up outside. And this is where we get Wheeljack being a fucking nutter. <laughs> yeah. He just goes, oh, we, we, can, we can use this bomb. Uh, and blow them up in a place full of volatile energy crystals. Fine, yeah. Well, I feel that there's a lot of there's a lot of like attempts to just cover people in rubble in this <laughs> show. And, like, it's like one of the main things they do, or, or you know, they or even like well, this is skipping ahead, but when they crash in the water later, yeah, everyone just assumes it's like they're covered in some kind of stuff. Like they're not going to be able to get out of this, but they don't really check. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, you know, the best way to to kill a bunch of Transformers is cover them in rubble. I mean, it hasn't always worked. It's never worked. In fact, it never does. <laughs> but we're definitely going to stick with it. But this is the 80s American TV. Look at the 80s. Yeah. No one's allowed to die. Otherwise, they can't show it to mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. 
And and yeah, and Sparkplug, as I mentioned before, conveniently had worked in these mines before. Throwaway line. Mm. Yeah, I worked there. Yeah. It's easy. Just get in this way. This is why I just think he's a job in engineer. He goes from job to job. Yeah. Yeah. Sparkplug goes in with Bumblebee, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yes, good. Good. It's not Spike. No, it's Sparkplug. I guess because he knows a bit about the mines. Having... He goes in on a rocky road with a landmine gently resting on his lap inside a giant yeah. robot. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? As you do. And they drive about five foot up to the front mm. of it. And then he gets out and Bumblebee's just sort of nonchalantly carrying a big bomb. Yeah. yeah it was like 30 seconds the only setting on this bomb. It seems a bit short. It was, it was 60 <laughs> seconds, I believe. Okay, it's just well. But yeah, still, they're still short. They're still pretty it's short. Still very short. <laughs> You've done an hour. In fact, <laughs> in part three, Wheeljack then reveals that he lied about how long the bomb's fuse was. It was fifty nine point nine nine seconds to be exact. And it's like, well, I would have liked to have known that, you know. <laughs> does that track in real time? It felt like longer than that. To me. <laughs> well, there was a, there was a weak gap between episodes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, not not for me, there wasn't. But it, but but yeah, they get caught, don't they? And then it explodes with them inside. Mm-hmm. And then once again, even even for Sparkplug, like dropping rubble on him doesn't seem to do anything. Well, <laughs> worse than that, it's Prime's just idea of, well, I'm just going to transform, take the full rig up there, and and let a uh, <laughs> rover go in. Yeah, mm-hmm. is he called Roller or Rover? Roller. Roller. That was me being wrong. Yeah, is that the only time we see Roller in the cartoon? I don't. Know I think it might be. Uh, also, Prime uses his, um, later he uses his trailer gun thing as well. He gets blown up. <laughs> yeah, it does get blown up. And then I, I'm not sure we see that again either in any future media ever. You definitely don't see that again. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, you definitely do see that again. Both Roller and the Combat Deck do make a few more appearances over the four seasons of G1, but not many. Roller appears in a further two episodes, and the combat deck in one more than Roller. But these are so infrequent, Dave can be forgiven for forgetting. Then, I think the cliffhanger is Prime tumbling down the mountain. Oh yeah, no! Just rolling down the side of the mountain. Yeah. Uh, having decided oh. to go up there in the first place. Because mm-hmm. Roller couldn't have gone from where he was. No. No, 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 no. He had to drive he had right to up to the entrance. Right to the entrance, which he knows there's a load of Decepticons in, and they're probably not expecting a massive truck to turn up to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, is, it does seem a little bit unnecessary. Another one of those uh, weird decisions that Prime makes. That mm-hmm. it is weird. And then, spoilers, it blows up with everyone involved yeah. in there. Mm. What's he shout out? He shouts, "Roller!" Yeah. yeah. No fucks given for Sparkplug and Bumblebee, who he hasn't seen come out and knew took the bomb. Yeah. But yeah, but his little sure. tiny little scout robot that lives in his bottom. That sounds like R2 D2. <laughs> yeah. He literally sounds like R2 D2. It's it's the R2 D2 sound clips being used. It's it. They've stolen oh, wow. a lot of they've stolen a lot of sound from here because they've stolen a lot from Battlestar Galactica. Mm. A lot of the lasers. I've got a list here actually. I looked this up and um, they extensively used the Star Star Wars sound effect library. They used the sound of the Death Star firing to destroy Alderaan. Um, oh. 
Uh, that's used for Skywarp and Thundercracker when they're strafing Bumblebee and Wheeljack in the first scene. <laughs> you know the, the training sphere above the uh, in the Millennium Falcon. That's used for the Seekers sometimes. <laughs> Luke's lightsaber harm is used when he's when Soundwave is making Energon cubes, etc., etc. Tie Fighter engine brawl. Yeah, they're all yeah. in there. I mean, just I assume that's licensed out somehow. There must be. Yeah. You know, they when they sound you know when they do the sound design for these movies they just all go in a big sort of like library sound library yeah because they've used the Cylon noises Cylon guns yeah. there's Star Trek sliding door sound effects as well wow yeah and it, apparently there's a hint of the sonic screwdriver um, when Wheeljack opens and closes his rear door apparently oh I didn't notice that but no I would not have noticed that. <laughs> Plus, that's probably sounded like all sorts of different ways through the many, many years of making that yeah. show. And Roller's sounds are taken directly from R2-D2. <laughs> Weird that license out something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was... Um... Maybe it's Ben Burt needed the money. I, I can't imagine it was like kind of free to use. But I don't know. No, as far as all those, so all those noises were made by Ben Burt for Star Wars. Mm. So he would have mm. owned them. Yeah. But I mean, I guess... I, I, I've no idea how those rights work. I, I mean, this, this is actually this, this opens this this. There's more questions than answers here, really, for me. <laughs> we need to ring up yeah. George and ask him. Well, I know that I know <laughs> that this isn't the only example of other movies using Star Wars noises. So maybe that maybe that sound library was um, either free or fairly cheap to use. I don't know because there's a lot of reuse of Star Wars noises in various movies. Having looked into this, it appears this sort of thing does happen a lot, and the reason is usually simply that it's cheaper to pay for pre-existing sound effects than create new ones. We imagine Sunbow and or Marvel Productions paid for the licence and deployed these sound libraries liberally across all their productions. 1984, Star Wars was over. Return of the Jedi probably hadn't made its budget up yet. So they were probably going, well, can we get some money back on this? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They, they might not have even really thought people would be watching Star Wars like decades mm. later. Yeah, yeah. It's just like ads. We just made some sound effects. Like, fine, we'll just make a bit of extra cash by by renting them out. Yeah. So here's here's where we have the um. So Prime manages to he's damaged and he has to transform and he does it very slowly, but he's okay. In yeah. The end. I, I sort of, I, I sort of like that actually. That that. He struggles. <laughs> Is there another bit where someone sort of struggles to transform a bit? And it's Pound sort of like does, when he's get he gets smashed up. Yeah, yeah. he's told I can't transform. When when Hauler makes his one and only appearance in G one and uh, <laughs> yeah. um, rescues him. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, Hound does struggle to transform. He's just like, oh, I think it's my dry, uh, my my rear axle or something when he's uh, in. <laughs> yeah. Because. <laughs> yeah. They, this whole episode, they seem to be building up Hound to mm. be a proper major character. It's very Hound heavy, the whole thing. Mm. It is actually more than Bumblebee. Yeah, and Mirage as well, I'd say. But then I don't remember Hound actually being in it that much after this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is, but no. Well, the thing is, the trouble with the cartoon is, it's it's all about getting the new toys in. So. Yeah, I know it's Autobot of the Week. Yeah, characters get kind of pushed to the sidelines because they're not new anymore. So it's like, well, you've, you've all bought Hound now, so we need you to concentrate on the aerial bots. But they really make it feel very much like the chain of command is you've got Prime. Mm. Jazz is like a drill sergeant. 
and then Hound is like the special ops. Mm. And that's like the top the top tier of the Autobots. Yeah. Like Wheeljack. I always remember him coming up because he's the one who goes, and I've built this one for you. Yeah, well, he's basically <laughs> the mad doctor, isn't he? Or the, the mad, mecha- mad yeah. mechanic. Yeah. But yeah, but, so Prime assumes that the Decepticons are finished because they're under rubble, as we as we previously discussed. Which means game over. Yeah, they're done for. Oh, yeah, what about, um, what is, it, is it Huffer who comes in Helps Prime by taking the load of his trailer. Oh, yeah. Which, um, made that every Huffer toy needed to be able to be compatible with Prime's trailer now. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Now everybody needs Huffer to be able to pull Prime's trailer in Toy Ball. <laughs> because. <laughs> it's like, it's, like, it's, it's all this, like, su- I mean, they, even in the development, I think, there's this sort of super throwaway ideas which have, like, people seemingly can't quite like, let go of, I suppose. Absolutely. It's, it's like, I think when they were, even when they were putting the original toy line together, they were like, well, we'll combine, you know, it's like they're in different scales and stuff like this. And I think they were just like, well, we want to mm. use all of these, so it doesn't matter, they just change size. And it's like, that's now something we're, you know, completely stuck with forever. Yeah. Well, it's because they went to that Tokyo Toy Fair and yeah. Hasbro just basically went, buy everything, buy it all. <laughs> and, and, and Takara had their two lines that were completely separate, Diaclone and Microman, Microchange. And they went, oh, we'll just shove those together and then we'll get some stuff from these guys and these guys as well. So there's lots of mismatching yeah. uh, going on. We'll nick this one while Robotech's not looking. Oh, yeah. Yes, the Robotech one, it causes a lot of uh, upset, doesn't Robotech it? Robotech controversy. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I suppose it was the micro-change... I think it was the micro-change line that had... I assume that in that, whatever continuity that was, those were tiny little robots. Yes. You know, in, in, in that world, it's like, that was a gun-sized robot. And then, you know, when it turned into a robot, it was also that size. It was just like a little guy. Yeah, they were 1-1 one, one scale, basically. Yeah, they were like 1-1 one, one scale. And I think the, the Diaclone ones were also like somehow, somewhat like to, to a scale. It was sort of a bit more coherent, I think, in those toy lines. Yeah. Where, where, you know, in Hasbro, so I didn't really care. They were just like... But, but then it was also like hugely successful. And I think they then replaced those lines with Transformers in Japan as well. So Yeah, they did. Who's to say who was right, I guess? Well, those lines weren't doing very well in Japan. At the time, was it sort of on the way down? Yeah, because it had been going for a very, very long time, and they started yeah. with like kind of spaceships and stuff, and they'd only like moved into like realistic vehicles and so on later on, and realistic um, objects because people had got bored of spaceships and so on. So, in a way, those lines were kind of on their way out when Hasbro. Yeah, and they were, so maybe they were sort of desperate to be like, maybe we can like book this to an American company and get mm. a bit more juice out of it. And, and like, boy, did they. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> this is where we hatch the incredible, weird, crazy double-cross plan. Okay. <laughs> As a first-time watcher, I found that confusing. And I had to... <laughs> exactly. I wasn't sure who was double-crossing who. And I, I WhatsApp Virtual Dave and said... <laughs> Is he a, a spy for the Decepticons? And uh, Dave said to me, what you have to remember is that the Autobots are always smarter than the Decepticons. Are they, though? So if you know that, then you understand. Oh. <laughs> is that what I said? <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm, I'm recontextualizing your answer. What is it? What did you mean? I said the opposite. I said you're giving the Decepticons too much credit. <laughs> that's That's what I mean, is that you said that if you remember the Autobots are smarter, then you'll know 
who is double crossing who. This whole plan at the end <laughs> is basically the finale to Blazing Saddles. Are we? Are we talk, we're, we're talking about the the rocket fuel plan, right? So yeah, maybe maybe we should just 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 go through what the plan is. I think we I think we could all do with a, a breakdown. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I certainly could. Yes, please. <laughs> Step so, one. Previously, the Autobots have captured Ravage, mm-hmm. and they have him in a cage. Yes. <laughs> they know that the Decepticons need to get more energy, one more amount of energy before they can take off, and Hound talks to. Optimus about making basically a holographic jet fuel station. Yeah. As a kind mm. of ruse. He's like, I've got a plan. I can make a hologram any size. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. and so then he accidentally meant, accidentally on purpose mentions it in front of Ravage. And then accidentally on purpose drops the key. Yes. Which, which would make sense if it wasn't for when, for the fact that when Ravage escapes, they all chase after Ravage. He's escaping, he's escaping, he's escaping. And when they come back, Hound says to, to Optus Prime, oh no, he's escaped. And Prime goes, good, that was my plan all along. And he kind of goes, huh? What? Yeah, they all do. So, yeah. so he wasn't... <laughs> is it that Prime just put the two most incompetent guys in charge of this? To make it seem more realistic. Who's going to drop the keys? Because I, I, I know they'll drop the keys, they just always do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's because it wasn't it wasn't Hound's plan. Hound just told him he just reminded Prime yeah. I can make holograms and big holograms of anything. That's it, yeah. And then Prime goes, Oh, I have a plan. And we don't hear what the plan is, so maybe he, he doesn't tell, tell Hound. Hound doesn't even know. So <laughs> Hound is just a careless jailer. He just drops the key and just gets on with his life and, and uh, tells and tells Ravage a whole story about uh, this base yeah that doesn't exist that he that doesn't exist because yeah. he hasn't made it yet but he tells no, him to yeah. as if it is something that actually exists <laughs> yeah and then prime just assumes ravage would escape anyway <laughs> doesn't feel hounded on the plan at all so how didn't mm. know <laughs> no <laughs> oh that's very confusing <laughs> this ruse continues because they holographically create this um uh, jet fuel base or whatever it is yeah. To lure the Decepticons. And uh, the Decepticons take the bait, heading to this fictional rocket base. Where they're all dressed up in science clothes. Um, yeah, science. where all the, all the Autobots are dressed in lab coats. The Autobots in lab coats. I, I think they're all the smaller Autobots, aren't they? It's like, you're, like bronzing people. And it's like... But this is, all, this is where it becomes the plot from Blazing Saddles. <laughs> They build a fake town for the bad guys to come and invade. Is that what so they, they could do a trap? It's, it's, it feels quite farcical. And then it turns into it? a musical number. Yeah. <laughs> well, that didn't didn't go that way. But then it turns out that the Decepticons are on to them, and all the Decepticons are just made out of junk. Yeah. So two questions here: one, how did the Decepticons know that it was a ruse? Two, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like fake Decepticons they made them? How did they make them? <laughs> Well, they're Decepticons, aren't they? Uh, and ha- yeah, but how come these de- fake Decepticons can fight to a certain extent? They look completely realistic until the ruse was up, and then they just sort of fell apart. I have, I have yeah. the answers for your two questions. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. The, Decepti- okay. the Decepticons knew because they explained Hound's hologram ability, and Hound shows um, Ravage that he can make a fake Megatron in front of him, 
And then oh. he goes, I've got an idea. And he says he's going to go talk to Prime. No, no, <laughs> that's all about that. I, would think, Ra- I think Ravi is actually quite smart. And I think he put two and two together and realised something's up about this. <laughs> it also doesn't help that the way, the way it's depicted in the show, Hound makes the base with his hologram ability and then the Decepticons are immediately there. Yes, they are too. <laughs> like, like, it's almost like they watched him do it. <laughs> Yeah, maybe they did watch him do it. <laughs> and my theory on the disposable Decepticons is just that they're just the um, miscoloured Seekers that were in the background in the first episode that we uh... never see again. But, you know, let's... <laughs> are, these, are these the first zombie Transformers, then? Could we see it that way? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> it was so. I was just. It was so confused. I was just like, I don't know what's going on. It's, co- it's so convoluted, and it makes yeah. no sense. It's like a little rug pool, but it, there's no. There's no like. There's no hint before or really afterwards that this is a thing that's possible in this world. So it's like a double, double, double cross or something, and the Decepticons are made of junk, and. Um, I think Megatron says something like, did you really think you could fool me by allowing Ravish to escape? And really, the Optimus should respond, well, here's the embarrassing thing about that. We didn't. I forgot to tell the guys this plan. And, they let him escape anyway. And he, and he genuinely escaped. So, and we, and we really did try to stop him. And then he should shrug. Yeah. And that, that would be... It's like, look, at this point, even I'm not clear how this is... <laughs> how this has played out, but like, this is where we are. <laughs> so, meanwhile, the Decepticons attack the real rocket base. Although we weren't aware that there was a real rocket base, but there is No, one. that was... It was sort of implied that it was a made-up rocket base. They said that they, they that rocket fuel was one thing they need. Like, Samway Did they detect it, it actually, somehow? I think there is. I think there maybe is something about this because apparently rocket fuel has got the next best power to the red rubies of <laughs> Burma. Yeah, yeah. Obvs. <laughs> there's there's like four things on this version of planet Earth. There's like oil rigs, ruby mines, rocket bases, and volcanoes, and that's mm. your lot. <laughs> dams. Um, no, you're right. There's dams. Yeah, there's a lot of like power generation. This is really a story about. <laughs> You know, <laughs> energy works like hydroelectrics and like the brave men that, that man those industries day in, day out. This was just an early Captain Planet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, we they um, they attack the real rocket, ba- rocket base. The Autobots go to stop them. They do that running and transforming thing from the end credits mm-hmm. in that in that scene, hmm. which is totally it's. Basically, toy porn, isn't it? It's like here, here's what the toys are like. Here, that's that's what it's all about. They're all going to try. They all run and transform into their cars, or modes, or whatever. But it turns out the bigger that the Decepticons are all the power they need, and uh, their space cruiser blasts off into space, mm-hmm. and that and that's it. They're fucked. <laughs> yeah, and, and and someone says that's it, and there were no more episodes of Transformers. <laughs> I think yeah, Sparkplug says over. you've tried everything. It's like you've done you've done all you could be expected to do. Prime, <laughs> Prime like, I've got one more thing I can do. <laughs> yeah, Sideswipe, give me your rocket pack. And Sideswipe's like, what rocket pack? Oh yeah, I've got a rocket pack. Here you go. Oh yeah, I've been carrying this thing around all, all this entire story without realizing. <laughs> 
and it was never seen or heard from again. Another accessory that we don't really hear anything well, about. Well, we, we do in the toys yeah, because now, toy. now <laughs> Prime has to come with a rocket pack all the time now. Not even with Sideswipe, it comes with Prime. <laughs> Why does Sideswipe come with a rocket pack? Yeah, it comes with Prime. It doesn't come with Sideswipe, weirdly. <laughs> that is weird. That's just rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> Can't they just do things right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's Sideswipe's rocket pack. It's not Prime's rocket pack. And also, he's rubbish at using it. <laughs> He flies into space and he immediately gets shot down. He's not used it before, has he? Yeah. <laughs> Sideswipes. He's really clutching his straws. <laughs> he like he does makes no attempt to dodge the laser blast and just get, just gets shot down. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he doesn't use he doesn't use his other flying ability to stop himself from crashing. Yeah, he falls pretty hard. And everyone mm-hmm. comes to his rescue, like, you're right, Prime, like, get off of me! <laughs> I'm fine! <laughs> Meanwhile, Starscream decides this is the perfect moment to take over again. <laughs> Strike what he hot. Megatron has his, his guard down, he doesn't have his cannon on for some strange reason. Um... <laughs> yeah, so, and basically, in the, in, in the confusion, it turns out that Mirage is there, invisible, <laughs> and uh, wrecks the controls of the ship and makes it crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay, uh, yay, Mirage. He's, uh, he's the hero. I mean, and he just, opens, he just casually opens the door and jumps out. <laughs> yeah, with his parachute. <laughs> in space. Is another accessory. Is there ever a toy of that parachute later? In the... I, no, I don't think there is. No, that's the only one. I feel like, <laughs> feel like it could happen. It's coming. Yeah. Honestly, if... If if Takara ever make a masterpiece Mirage, which they've not done yet, it'll come it's with that parachute. Back. Yeah, I, I yeah. think it's quite good that it's a different character that's not Prime. That yeah, I do. I love that. That's one of my favourite things. I he like has like that. he has a bit of an arc, doesn't he? He's like sorry. I mean, I know there's also the arc, but you know what I mean. Because like, he, he, I think there's some comments about how he doesn't like fighting. Like he really just wants to go home. And then he kind of sorts it, you know, at the end he comes up with the, the plan, seemingly behind Prime's back. Yep. But <laughs> it saves the day. Does, does Prime actually do anything of consequence? Not really, no. Um, he's just... He's not a very good leader. No, he just seems to come up with some ideas and go, I, I, want, I want a battle group. All right, we're all going. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask for volunteers. All right. Everyone volunteers. Even the two little squishy people. They're coming. Brilliant. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) Why not? Uh, I mean, they're fully fledged Autobots by this point. Mm -hmm. Um, It's all fine. But yeah, so so the Decepticons crash. And uh, again, Prime assumes they're all dead. (laughs) I just love how uh, Megatron is frantically screaming at this point when, you know, Mirage jumps out. And he's just like, stop yeah. him! <laughs> Make it stop, Soundwave, get control! What's going on? <laughs> Steer the ship! Oh, he's ruined everything! Fucking hell! is freaking out. Because also, what is the big problem with letting them bugger off home? Because they take over Cybertron, which I guess is a bad thing. But they left them all there. Yeah. But if they hadn't followed them to Earth, they would have left them all there in charge anyway. That's a very good point, Galactosh. Very, very good point. What, but, but no, but they took off in search of energy. They were going to come back. Yeah, the Autobots were. Yeah. The Decepticons went off after the Autobots. So all that's happened is they've followed them, 
got enough energy to get back. And the Autobots are where they were going to go find energy anyway. Mm-hmm. And the Decepticons <laughs> are back where they started with exactly what they started. But, you know, Shockwave's done a bit of spring clean on Cybertron while he was there. Well, he hasn't got any energy either, I suppose. I think they stockpile they stockpiled a load of energy that's on the space cruiser, so that was going to allow them to take over Cybertron. Oh, but they they but that's not what they said. They had just enough energy to get back. They're going to come, They need to come back to get the rest of the ruby crystals. That's why they're going to come back to go back to Burma. Yeah. But <laughs> what, but if they're going to stop them, then they're just it it's pointless. The whole thing is pointless. It muddies the waters like quite a lot that Megatron also seems to make various references to conquering the universe also. Mm. So it's sort of like, what is it he wants to do? I don't know. Like, <laughs> is it, if he takes this energy back to Cybertron, he'll be able to make some other stuff happen that will allow him to... Maybe. It's, maybe, maybe he's going to revive that Planetary Engines project. As featured in a previous episode of Arg My Optics. Featured in a previous episode, yeah. Look, look it up, look it up, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> but yeah, so that's essentially it. I think we're pretty much, that's the end. So the governments of Earth, who have totally ignored the Transformers until now, uh, give them all the energy they'll need to revitalise Cybertron. But it turns out the Decepticons are perfectly fucking fine. And, uh, and that's it. We're going to go straight into a, a never-ending war. That will go on for at least four seasons, um, and never really get properly resolved. There's an incredible line at the end, towards the end of this story, where Spike, Spike's diary says something like, um, "The world governments all agreed to give Optimus Prime all the energy he needs to yeah. revive Cybertron." And then he says, "I think it's the only time they've all agreed on something." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's, that, that's an incredible little, little moment. They've all agreed to get rid of these robots. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe that is actually. What They've come and stole all our rubies. They're damaging our ma- dams. If that's the case. It doesn't work. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they've blown up a dam. They've blown up a power station. They've blown up an oil rig. <laughs> we just want rid of them. Yeah, that gets forgotten about, doesn't it? There's never an, an attempt for the Ark to take off on G1, is there? There's never like the Autobots don't leave via a vehicle. They only go back via the space bridge or anything, isn't it? They don't. I think it moves again. I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah, I mean, the Space Bridge is more of a Decepticon thing, isn't it? No, no, no. I mean, I just mean that they got all the energy from, you know, the world leaders, but then what do they do with it? They obviously didn't leave. <laughs> you know, like, what? what they, they didn't do, do much, yeah, you're right. They do fuck all with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's it. That's the whole miniseries. So, I guess... Let's go around the table and see what people thought of it. I I, I want to hear uh, Amy's opinion first, because as you saw it for the first time just the other day, what did you think of More Than Meets the Eye, parts one to three? Well, the first thing I noticed was that there were no female characters, and um, I, I was not born in the 80s, but I have heard that they used to kind of polarise the market quite a lot with toys. Like, you'd have boys' toys and girls' toys, and there was very little in between. Mm. That's absolutely correct. And, yeah, I kind of just saw them, how they were thinking of toys throughout, even even to the point where I would start to make up stuff, like with the Energon, my, <laughs> my Energon cubes idea, where they could turn it off and yeah. on again. 
And um, I I think that the reason all the human characters have the same outfit on is so that they could sell a lot of very similar ones and then you could use it to create a scene. Mm. They never did, yeah. though. They never made... Never sold a single one. They never made humans. They, yeah, it does feel like that. Not until many, many years later. Yeah, like years like later in other ranges. And, um, maybe. They... I mean, there, there have been a few spikes in exosuits, but like... Throughout the entire run of G1 from 1984 through to 1991, not one human, apart from like Headmasters, which are kind of human. Headmaster Spike. Yeah, Headmaster Spike was the, the first, ever, first yeah. ever human in the line. But yeah, no, you, you'd think that they would make the little guys, but they never did. I guess it's a good way of having kind of similar character models. Mm. And if you dress them all the same, you can kind of hide it a bit better. But then... I mean, that's more a thing with, like, 3D animation and stuff. Like, all the characters were drawn wearing the same outfit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, what was the other thing? Oh, I've had had a think about Spark Plug. I I couldn't Mm -hmm. stop thinking about it after you brought it up. And I I think the reason he's called Spark Plug is not... um, because he works with spark plugs. I think that their oil rig slash power plant probably has like fraternity rules for how nicknames are given. <laughs> so I think he probably did something very embarrassing and despicable with the spark plug one night when they were drunk. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just really well known for putting forks into energy sockets. <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I think that we can probably like just accept that as a sort of new canon now. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, that makes more sense. It's like a lot, a lot of guys like together, a lot of lonely nights, a lot of boredom. There you go, confirmed. <laughs> That's what all rigs yeah. are all about. There's a few, mm-hmm. few spark plugs <laughs> lying about. You know, why not? See how many. I was impressed, actually. They really didn't spoon feed things to you. Like even um, American adult television, I find that they're often recapping things, making sure that you know what's going on, even if you check in about 20 minutes into the program. But this, like, you had to watch from start to end to understand what was going on, which And you still didn't understand what was going on. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's a fine line between spoon feeding and simply explaining what's supposed to be, what the hell is supposed to be happening. I suppose so, yeah. At one at one point, because I was confused when I watched them, and then I looked at some reviews online and found out that the hub put the episodes out in a different order to when they were first screened. Oh. And I I was really worried, and I texted Virtual Dave like, "Have I watched the wrong ones?" <laughs> like, because I thought that might account for why I didn't quite explain um understand everything that was going on. Yeah, <laughs> I think there were a few scenes cut, which explained a few things here and there, but nothing, nothing major, you know, nothing that would have fixed it. It, it is, it is just a very, it, it rockets along at an incredible mm. pace, yeah, and doesn't really stop to tell you what's what, uh, explain what's <laughs> happening in certain cases. Yeah, they had to cram a lot in there for that uh, those those episodes. It was just well, they're only twenty two <laughs> minutes long each, and they have to say every single Transformers name. <laughs> About four times mm. to make sure you know exactly which one they yeah, are. Yeah, hopefully show them transforming. So it doesn't leave a lot yeah. of room for plot because otherwise you will not know what toy that is you've got to buy. 
So what? So what are your thoughts on it, Galatosh? Um, after, I mean, you haven't watched it in years. No, I, I honestly probably watched this as a kid because I watched Transformers the movie religiously. Mm. Love it. I, it has given me a false impression of how good this was. <laughs> um, I yeah. remember Arrival from Cybertron being brilliant. Mm. And it was like, oh, the gateway to my Transformers fun. I look back on it of an adult brain and it's just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like There was a literal roll call mm. where mm. they just go, name a Transformer, watch them transform. All right, now we're going to go. Mm-hmm. So it's like the shopping list is done. Yep. <laughs> um, and then things just happen for reasons. Mm. Might as well as be a wizard did it. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's like, it, do, it does feel like they wrote like a coherent story, then like whittled it down into something that doesn't make mm. sense. And the two overwhelming things in it is I watched it now back as an adult going, well, Starscream's right, Megatron. Listen to him. <laughs> Everything he said is absolutely correct. You're building up all this energy. You don't know if it works. Mm. All right, maybe you shouldn't have wasted it by blowing up a mountain. But mm-hmm. now you know it works. Brilliant. <laughs> Autobots are just laying there. You never know something might happen and bring them back. Yeah, that, Blow them that up. That does imply that Megatron just assumed it was going to work and hadn't yeah. tested it. So if that's yeah. the case, I think Starscream's point was sort yeah. of fair enough, actually. Yeah. Everything Starscream says is fair enough. Megatron is just as competent as Optimus Prime. In that they will just hope it's going to work out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Optimus Prime, Optimus Prime, and the Autobots are just so reactive. They don't do any. Yeah. They, they, they do very little stuff off their own back. They just do react to whatever's happening. No, no, one, no like wonder they're the losing movie. the war. In the movie, <laughs> Prime is badass. Mm. He has got the greatest introduction out of the entire film. Mm. Just comes in and goes, "Yeah, all right, I'm going to sort this." In this, it's like, yeah. what am I going to do? Uh, well, I've got a plan. I ain't told anyone. <laughs> That'll be fine. Uh, I'm just going to go rock up to a hole in the in the earth that I know a load of Decepticons in. <laughs> Two of my guys are in, so I can send a little my little bum guy in, um, <laughs> and we're going to have a right round. But and I know there's some explosives involved, but it's going to be fine. <laughs> He's very um, optimistic, isn't he? Optimistic Prime. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> It seems kind of impulsive. Like I'm just yeah. going to try. I, I'm just going to try this. I'll just drive up there. He's winging it. <laughs> he spends. He's not a tactician. He's, a, yeah. he's not a leader. Mm. He's just. I think it's just because he's slightly taller than the rest. <laughs> <laughs> he is a little taller. Yeah. They've gone. You're in charge, Optimus. Why is that? Because your name's Optimus. It's prime, yep. and you're bigger than us. All right, then. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> Their whole plan to leave and go to a different place. Seems to be so on the fly. Mm. It's like, well, are we, are we ready yet? Yeah, kind of. Let's go then. Isn't it just a bizarre kind of class system where the fewer um, characters that have the same model as you, the higher you are up in the hierarchy? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a pretty good assessment of what. <laughs> there, there is a lot of like discussion of Transformers like class systems in mm. later really? versions. But I mean, not not in it. It's not it's not consciously discussed in the '80s cartoon version. 
I think it's kind of no. retconned on the basis of that, in a way. It's like... Uh, yeah, to an extent. Yeah, it's sort of like you're a jet, you're a bit generic. Like, exactly. Know. Well, they, like, and also, the number of toys that appear... Sorry, characters mm. that appear. Both. They ever appear <laughs> like, Reflector. Mm. Yeah. How many reflectors are there? There's three in that. There's three in that. I'm sure there's one or two, like... Shots where you can see like six or seven of them. There is, yeah. It probably is. Yeah, all in weird colours. <laughs> it's sort of like, is this a guy, or is this three guys that turn into a camera, or is it just a generic Decepticon kind of soldier stormtrooper thing? The show is not sure. No. Yeah. And there's just like background people. Yeah. Like they do seem to have taken the entire Autobot army with them. Yeah, there's more Autobots, aren't there? The Decepticons is maybe only about eight of them. Yeah, there's a lot less, yes. isn't there? I suppose They're massively outnumbered. I suppose that's the good guy um, bias, isn't it? With a lot of stuff, they make a lot more good guys. To, yeah. the kids generally, especially in Japan, apparently prefer the good guys to the bad guys. Because also, in, even on a plot's perspective, there could should be fewer Decepticons. So all they've gone to do mm. is uh, work out where the Autobots are going. They're not expecting to crash and land with them. Well, yeah, I think his plan is just to. Destroy them. Destroy them. Follow where they're yeah. going. Destroy them. Go back to where they were going. Mm. That's kind of his plan. But no, four million years later. Yeah. <laughs> shockwave rules the universe. <laughs> well, rules Cybertron on his own. Uh, mm. We don't know. He might have expanded for a bit. It's four million yeah. years. He might have taken over the universe and lost the universe in that time and just be stuck <laughs> back on the Cybertron. No one's asked him his story. No, it's true. It's also four million years. It might have forgotten it. <laughs> Because, you know, he's around so much, he doesn't even bother to turn up in the movie, does he? Um, he is briefly in the movie, as Dave pointed out to me um, at one point when we were talking about the movie. And he went, oh yeah, yeah. Shockwave's there. And I'm like, is he? And he's like, yeah. In the, he's in the movie. Yeah, but only for yeah. about five seconds. It's a bit where like Cybertron's under attack and he's just going like, you know, he's just sort of, you just see him like <laughs> shuddering. <laughs> so that's because he's been on his own for four million years. He's probably a bit crazy. Yeah, he was doing that anyway. <laughs> He's, he's a hermit, essentially. He's been sat there on his own, yeah. basically just sort of like bent over, looking with his hands stuck in something. <laughs> going, yeah, I'll look after this. Didn't realise it was going to be four million years. Mm. <laughs> Doesn't seem to phase him, though, does it? <laughs> he's, he can't be safe. <laughs> Loneliness would have got to him. Right, so so that's your summarisation of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's best I stop before I break too many childs. <laughs> well, uh, Dave, what, what what was your what's your feeling on it now? Um, it was interesting to look back at these three episodes in particular because, I mean, I have watched G one episodes um, since I was younger, but not so early in season one. Normally, it's like season two, season three. Mm-hmm. I might pop back and watch an episode. So watching these was. Um, it highlighted a lot of problems with G1. Mm-hmm. I think even though this, you know, encapsulates a lot of um, the tropes that get continued or the characters or the, you know, special abilities, all that kind of stems from this beginning, but also a lot of the weird errors, the weird mismatching of voices, like you pointed out, like it's such a flawed cartoon and it's so... A product of its time, but it's so fascinating watching it now after like the 
what, 40 years mm. that it's been? Something in it, though, even in all of its flaws, all of its issues, something about it really connected with people of the time mm. and has stuck with people for so long. And it's so weird that, like, now, how the fandom is or, like, how people view these characters, it's so muddled up with, like, accuracy to the show and how things are simplistic or things are crazy. When you, like, you look back at like, no one cared. It was not a... Yeah. It was not viewed to be this thing that people should cherish or anything. It's 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 mad that something that's so vastly inconsistent and uh, and and bad in places is held with such high regard. It's it's incredible. It's, <laughs> it's um it, it highlights a lot of the um, uh, the things about you know kids TV at the time and like how you know how it was over influencing people in certain ways are like advertising us to buy toys and whatnot yeah. so like you can see you can see all the tropes you can see how like you said with the roll call and everything like oh yeah i've got to get them all i gotta gotta tick off the list they do an incredible <laughs> job of like shoehorning a lot pretty much the entire 1984 toy line into it yeah it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's really it's really weird to look back at it now that so much of stuff has happened mm. since then and reiterations and the evergreenness of those special six characters that they always pop back and visit. Yeah, well, it's it's really cool. It's, it's I think it's um it's a time capsule that maybe people should be a bit easier on, and maybe should uh, go back and watch it if they hide <laughs> in such high regard today. Yeah, well, you know, it's all there. It's all there, free to vo- free to watch on YouTube. Go ahead. So yeah, Michael, uh, let's hear your uh, your overview. Well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think as like, and as 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 I said before, I, I don't think I've seen this in over twenty years, and it's like I think as as a piece of entertainment, like it stands up like pretty badly. It's not, <laughs> it's not a it's not a great piece, you know. It's it's, and you know, we, there obviously there are reasons for that. I think, as Dave says, it is a bit of a time capsule. I think against its peers at the time, it probably stands up okay. Like there are a lot of these kind of toy cartoons, and this is pro- it's probably like one of the better ones. Hmm. I th- and I think maybe the reason for that is, is that you know like, the story is reasonably incoherent. But like I think they did do some work on making the characters sort of make some sense. Mm-hmm. And I think I guess also if you look at the toys, like they were quite invested in that side of it. They were like. This must, it's almost like this was their idea to sell them. They were like, each one is going to have like a personality and be relatable. And, you know, you've got the tech spec stuff with the little character mm. bios. And, you know, you do come out of this sort of knowing who these characters are fairly well, even if they don't follow through with all of mm. it later. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I guess, I think, I feel like, and I think it was also very, very popular at the time. Yeah. So... I think, like, regardless of how it looks now, I think they did what they needed to do. Yeah, and I think based on that, it's kind of like a good product for the time. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 going to um, shock everyone because I'm usually the the negative Nancy when it comes to all this stuff. I think it's a really good setup for the whole show. Like, even it, yes, it's nonsensical. It makes yeah very little sense in places. There's lots of kind of leaps of kind of logic that it it's just mad, but. It does a really good job of um, giving you the characters of all the initial toys. Mm-hmm. I mean, Decepticons a little bit less so, but then they're the Decepticons. They're the baddies. They can be treated more as kind of like, you know, 
random baddies. But the goodies, they all have um, pretty well-formed personalities, like, and they do spend at least a few, you know, 30 seconds or so on each character kind of giving you an idea of who they are. Mm. Much better than, than you'd expect, to be honest. I mean, you get the whole bit with, you know, you get the whole bit with Ironhide when he gets injured and when he's when he basically goes off against off to take down the Decepticons all by himself. So you get an idea of his character. You get the idea of Mirage because of what he does. Hound. Loads of them get themselves fleshed out quite a lot. Yeah. With such a big cast as well. I guess they they, they could almost certainly have made the story a bit more like possible to follow if they yeah down on some of that stuff it feels like that's what they prioritize they're like we want the characters to come mm-hmm. through mm. the thing is look back on it like three of us here can say it from the time yeah we did follow it so it did yeah. kind of work for the audience you can fill in the blanks can't you and i think you kind of have to with this this sort of area of stuff yeah, yeah. it's just looking back on it with a uh, you know 30 40 years <laughs> of hindsight at the time, watching it, it made perfect sense to me. Never questioned it. And I mean, it has a it has a great voice cast. Like the the, the voices are fantastic. Uh, the animation is shoddy as fuck in places, but the characters' voices and mm. their and their character and their characterization is is done very very well indeed. And you know, you got people who people who worked on this in the voice cast are like have been working in uh, cartoons previously to that and ever since there were there were some really big names in there mm. and you've also got scatman crothers yes scatman crothers you know, jazz it, it was very famous from the shining mm, yeah mm. <laughs> and of course peter <laughs> collin and frank welker who do a fantastic job of the two main the main guy you know the main the, the main hero and the main main villain um even if even if the more i watch pretty much all Transformers media, the less I think Prime is a competent leader. I, <laughs> I, I still, he's still a very um, charismatic, very, a very likable character for a lot of people. And I think that's down to Pete Cullen. I think his, his key scene in this is when, you know, some of the other Autobots are saying like, we don't, you know, we're not, we're not fighters. We want to, um, you know, we, we, we just sort of want to go home. Mm. And mm. he's like, well, you know, this isn't the world you're in. Like, you've got to rise to this. That's his... That's sort of what defines him, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we've got to... It's like, this danger is real. We have to fight it. It's like, that's that's who Prime is, I guess. Good, good. Um, well, I suppose... Uh, do we want to do the, the rating system? Oh, yeah. The- we- wheelie, wheelie to your favourite character from the movie. Uh, I don't know how... M- you've watched the movie, haven't you, Amy? Yep. Right. So, on a scale of Wheelie being the worst character in the movie, <laughs> to whoever whomever you think's the best in the movie, I mean, that's debatable. Where would you place this? Um. <laughs> or would you like me to come back to you later? Yeah, I want to hear other people's choices All right. first. I you, you don't want to say something too bold, you know, when you're right. in the yeah <laughs> well, in well, the so, presence so, so, of such fans. <laughs> <laughs> see, 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 Dave and I are old hats at this. Dave, what's your uh, your opinion? Um, oh, I I feel like I want to say um, the Dinobots. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably where I'd rank this. No, not anyone in particular, but I feel like uh, you know when Prime comes to save everyone in the movie, mm-hmm. and he's like sends the Dinobots down, 
destroy Devastator. And they swoop down and they all look cool mm-hmm. and, you know, heroic. And then they transform and they just get clobbered on and the slugs get <laughs> like, <laughs> the stuff mm-hmm. kicked out of him. You know, like, I feel mean, like it's got its bits where it's like, it's really positive, like it sets up a lot of stuff. You know, some bits of it look all right. And then there's other bits where it's just like eyes bulging and just, mm-hmm. you know, brilliant brilloni is going on and all that type of stuff. Like, I feel like it's a, <laughs> it's a good starting point for the show and it's a good way of introducing you to the characters. Yeah. And it sets up a lot and it, and it's a really solid arc. Like it, that's good for beginning, middle, end. That's almost word for word what mine is. I would, I would say, I would say Soundwave. Oh, right. Because he's iconic, cool as fuck, but ultimately incredibly dated. Mm-hmm. And that's... <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes, that too. Yeah. Uh, Michael, what, what about you? Well, I, I, I actually think it's Optimus Prime, and I think it's specifically the Optimus Prime depicted in this version. <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty much making it up as he goes along. But, you know, he gets the job done, and he's ultimately like a good, likeable guy. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> Glatosh. Alright, I'm gonna go out on a a limb here and say it's Rekgar. Okay. Mm, that is going on. Because really. it's junk. <laughs> <laughs> um, it it's crazy as hell, makes no sense, just fills up a bit of exposition and increases mm. the roster of toys you can buy. Oh, another fair summarization uh, to yeah, be honest, yeah. yeah. So now you've got your head round it, Amy. Have you got any thoughts? Um, I think the Star Wars opening crawl because it has a lot of exposition, <laughs> but it also blatantly stolen from Star Wars. Yep, yep, and they're stolen stuff from Star Wars in this too. <laughs> so. Yep, exactly. Yeah, all all great ratings, fantastic. I mean, I I created this rating system way ages ago, and I wish I never had done. But you know, we'll, we'll keep going. Well, yeah, <laughs> so you're stuck with it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think what we should briefly talk about, or or for as long as you want, really, the uh, the whole idea of selling toys, a concept of set of using cartoons to sell toys. I think I was talking about this with you, Michael, on WhatsApp, and you said you uh, you'd done some mm. research into this that you found quite interesting. Well, I mean, re- research might be putting it a bit strongly, <laughs> but I did read around the stuff a little yeah. bit, and I, yeah, I think well, one of the things that's notable about this, is, and you know, you you do get this sort of like explosion of toy-based franchises in this point in the sort of early mid-80s, I guess. And it's it's uh, there was actually, a, in America, there was a change of legislation. You know, sort of, I think there was more restrictive advertising on, you know, sort of children's toys. And, like, it wouldn't have been, like, legal to make a whole cartoon that was a sort of story that was um, also effectively a toy mm. ad. It was a Ronald Reagan thing, um, like liberalisation of, advertising rules i've no no idea if we had a similar thing in the uk mm. but I, I would wouldn't be at all surprised if that had also been the case probably pro- possibly some kind of industry lobbying to to get those changes through yeah i, I think that the, the there was rules around advertising um children's toys on tv and there were like standards in place that kind of made uh, restrictions on runtime broadcast time yeah, limits on use of animation, and you had to depict the toys functioning and show kids playing with them. Oh, really? Okay, that's more detail than I had. Yeah. So, like, what Hasbro did to get around that in a way 
was they did it with G.I. Joe first, then they did it with Transformers afterwards because it was tried and tested. They looked at the success of the Star Wars toy line, which had the movies creating a strong mythology for it. And they were like, well, we need a strong mythology for our toy lines. That, that's what sells. That's going to sell toys. Correct. So they went to they went to Marvel Comics and said, can you create us a, a story for this? And they used that story and that comic to sell the toys and then later the TV show. Basically, because you could advertise, there was no restrictions on advertising comics on TV. Oh. So you could make little car, you can make little cartoon, um, cartoon episodes that were adverts, but they were adverts for the comic. But obviously, the comic was connected to toys, <laughs> so you were still seeing the toys. So it was a way to get away with really just kind of blasting kids with really aggressive advertising. Yeah. It's quite cynical in a lot of ways, but but I I, th- I suppose almost inevitably with something you know that's sort of gone on for so long, there's actually mm. been some like you know from something that was really just created as a way of selling toys. There's been some quite like creatively legitimate stuff has eventually been yeah. I think especially in the comics, um, you know, there's there's been there's been some genuinely good writers have sort of fleshed this world out and. I think probably the fact it's toys doesn't really figure that much in there. You know, in the way, sort of, you know, maybe even like Simon Furman was just like, oh, I just want to make these sci-fi robot stories and made loads of characters that you couldn't get toys of. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And and later with IDW and the uh, likes of James Roberts and so on, like, you know, that, that kind of stuff that's like really kind of like delves into it in a, in a quite detailed way. Yeah, I don't um, think he was thinking about toys really when he was writing that stuff. No, no not at all. <laughs> So it's it, it, you know it, it, I guess it it grew beyond that as a as a franchise. Well, it was a really good move to get Marvel to do that. Like, yeah, yeah. Like I said before, Jim Shooter was approached. Him and Den- Denny O'Neill were approached. I think they were the chief editors at the time at Marvel. Um, Galactos will correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Nineteen eighty-four. Uh, Jim Shooter was still in charge of everything, pretty much. Yeah, so Jim Shooter came up with the the basic concept of Autobots and Decepticons fighting over resources. And then he handed it to Denny O'Neill, R.I.P., who um, he came up with the name Optimus Prime. And then apparently he came up with a kind of treatment for it that just wasn't very good. And yeah. um, uh, apparently it was kind of a good cop, bad cop kind of thing. And he said it didn't what? work. Yeah. Hmm. So he handed, then they handed it off to Bob, Bob, uh, Bob Badansky, who was basically given the rest to do. Like, here you go. I need you to come up with character profiles and character names for all of these guys. You've got a weekend or something. <laughs> and off he went. Yeah. I feel like he really did it very fast, didn't he? Yeah. And he created the entire Bible for the whole thing. Ten minutes on each one sort of is what it feels like. <laughs> and then the comics, the comics were working off the same Bible as the TV show, but they were doing it completely separate to each other, So which is why the TV show and the comics are quite different. You know, there's something. There's another like major decision, I guess, around the creation. I think particularly of the cartoon. You know, this might be another reason that it really worked quite well and had had the legs it's had is that you know they they redesigned the characters to feel much more sort of human esque. Mm. You know, they did these like quite comprehensive character redesigns, which I think was like Floro Derry, wasn't it? Yeah, who, it was. Yeah, drawings the guy who like later did all the the movie characters and Quintessons and Unicron and all of this, but mm. like. You know, I think if I think in the early comics, some of the drawings look very, very like the toys, even to having like you know Bumblebee's silver reflector panel behind his head and stuff like this. Yeah, and Ironhide and Ratchet and so on. 
it's, it's something that's like gifted us like decades of fan controversy, but actually, I think commercially made a hell of a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I suppose well, we got onto the comics, so let's talk about how this shook out in the comics. Of the five of us, I think uh, Michael, would you would you be fairly au fait with what happened in the comics as the start at the start of the whole thing? Well, I, I mean, actually, to be honest, like. I, I think my my sort of main period of the comics, I, I, I haven't really read probably about the first hundred like, issues because mm. I, I think you know I, I started getting it regularly sometime after that. Yeah, I think I have seen some of them or read you know seen the scans or read bits, but actually, but then like thinking about the fact, I thought I was sure that Spark Plug was an auto mechanic, so I think I must have read them. <laughs> yeah, or like read some republication of the early bits or something like that. So I, d- I don't suppose you know much about it, do you, Dave? Uh... I have read the first issue, but I couldn't tell you what happened in it. All I remember is yeah. the um, really weird drawing of Prime at the front of it, but that's about it. Yeah, that's the that's the American first issue. Yeah, yeah. the one. But yeah, so basically, the comics came out four months before the TV show, and there was, like I said before, little to no collaboration between the two. So the first few issues of Transformers kind of describes how the Civil War. Basically, it shook Cybertron from its orbit, and all, and it started kind of flying around. Space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think that's even referred to like later in the comic. I mean, I, that, that's a familiar concept to me. Yeah. So the, the planet Cybertron is hurtling through space while the Autobots and Decepticons are still fighting on it. And it's heading towards an asteroid belt. So there is an asteroid belt, though. Yes. It's, like, it's <laughs> not like some of the same. It's like, it's like it's been sort of like they've reshuffled the same stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So they, they're hurtling towards this asteroid belt. So the Autobots build this arc to clear a path through the belt. Right. Like sort of the same and not. Yeah. And Ravage at the time is, is spying on them. So Megatron builds his own ship, again, mirroring a little bit. He builds his own ship to go out there and destroy Optimus Prime while they're vulnerable and thus win the war. But only after they've sorted the asteroid problem out because he's not stupid. And the Decepticons board the arc... And fearing that they're going to be defeated, Optimus Prime orders... Well, he basically flies the ship into a nearby planet. A kind of suicide does it, Yeah, he does it sort of more on purpose. I, I've definitely read that. Yeah. Maybe. So he goes, oh, um, I'll just uh, go on a suicide course directly to this nearby lifeless third planet in this solar system. Wink, wink. Mm. And then it plays out kind of similarly in that four million years later, that volcano they crashed into erupts. The computer comes online, does all that stuff where it gives it, you know, gives everyone alt modes. It repairs all the Autobots and the Decepticons indiscriminately. Yeah, I've read this. <laughs> this is coming back. <laughs> yeah, and then continuingly, continuing to believe machines rule the world, Pl- Prime pledges to protect the cars and trucks from the evil, <laughs> evil Decepticons. That's really nice. <laughs> so, yeah, that happens. And uh, I think... He sends out a scouting group led by Prowl to make contact with the locals, still believing the locals to be cars and trucks. <laughs> they do pass a hitchhiker on the way, but they totally ignore him. And they head towards um, what they detect as a vital machine signs just over the ridge, which turns out to be a drive-in theatre. Uh, which, which they then mistake for some kind of religious ritual. So it's not that unreasonable, is it? No. No, no. So they go and take a get a closer look, driving straight through the um the woman in the uh, in the booth taking tickets. They ignore her. 
And uh, over-enthusiastically, Bumblebee tries to make contact by running into the car that Buster Witwicky and his girlfriend, Jesse, and his, and his friend, O. Yes, he's called O. <laughs> I don't know why. That, and that kind of uh, damages Bumblebee a bit. Well, actually it doesn't, but then the Decepticons turn up and they damage him even more. Decepticons turn up, we have a big fight, and Prowl leaves with the with the rest of the Autobots, but not Bumblebee, assuming that Bumblebee has gone home on his own or something. As you do. Aww. Yeah. Uh, and so Buster essentially steals a VW Beetle, a.k.a. Bumblebee, yeah. who's, locked in, who's locked in alt mode because he thinks it's poorly. And he takes it back to his to his dad, Sparkplug, who runs an auto repair shop. Who is a mechanic in this version. Exactly. <laughs> to fix him. He's not doing creepy, weird stuff with Sparkplugs and a lonely... <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't mean he still isn't. No. <laughs> so then, then the Autobots debate whether they should take what energy they need or bargain with the humans for it. By this point, they've worked out humans are humans. Uh, um, <laughs> And Optimus says the right thing to do is to offer them Cybertronian technology in exchange for fuel, which they all agree on, except Mirage, who is not very convinced. Mirage just wants to steal it. Oh. Yeah. He's a bit of a dick. The only dissenter is the one that's like even worse and more irresponsible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, However, Bumblebee, who has now been repaired by Sparkplug, weirdly, he manages to repair him enough that he can transform... Um, gets in contact and Sparkplug agrees to help them convert human fuel into a form they can use because that's what mechanics can do, right? They're, yep. they're chemists also. <laughs> Nuclear physicists a lot. Um, <laughs> but then, but then hearing of this, the Decepticons, Megatron, kidnaps uh, Sparkplug and puts him into slave labour. <laughs> Creating energy for the Decepticons, Spider-Man turns up, oh, yeah. and then it all goes in a completely different direction. Oh, hang on, oh, yes. what was that last bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Spider-Man That's right, there. Spider-Man turns no. up. No, yeah, yeah. It was initially set in the Marvel superheroes universe, and they later just sort of changed their minds about it. I think. On occasion, it still has been set in the Marvel superhero universe. Because there have been rare crossovers about once every 10 years. It's true. I mean, essentially, what Marvel were doing at the time, they had their licensed comics and they had their reg- you know their own comics. And they liked to feature their characters in the licensed comics to get people to read their yeah. comics. It's a very Stan Lee thing to do. No one is safe from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm. <laughs> oh, this is decades before the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, the the interesting thing is that the Spider-Man that they put in the comic was the symbiont suit Spider-Man because at the time, another toy company, I think it was Mattel or maybe it was Kenner, some, someone who's not Hasbro, were making a Secret Wars toy line mm-hmm. and Spider-Man featured in that toy line yeah. and they were like, well, we don't, we don't want some character that is that some other toy companies making toys of in our comic so they they basically came to agreement that it would be the symbiont suit spider-man because he wasn't wearing that suit at the time which ironically is actually from the toy which would be in the toy line that they were making toys of because it was a yep. secret wars type uh, toy line that he was where he got the symbiote suit <laughs> 
Exactly, but but the Secret Wars toy was in the in the red and blue. Yeah, but the toys came out just before, and uh, the symbiote Spider Man didn't happen to issue eight. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so even when they're saying don't do it, they're going, I know what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Could you imagine if they actually had Spider Man in the cartoon? <laughs> like if that was just a plot point in episode three? Just... It'd be amazing. <laughs> It'd be spectacular. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> it would be web off. I don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but later on in the comic, they did adapt episode two of More Than Meets the Eye quite faithfully into a story called Decepticon Dambusters, mm. which I have here in this comic here. Very nice. Which this this is the uh, spring special from uh, nineteen eighty. Seven, but basically it was in issues thirty. Uh, sorry, twenty nine and thirty, I think. And um, that it basically very very faithful to episode two of More Than Meets the Eye. They've got they've got they've got the fight atop Sherman Dam. They've got the energy weapons. They've got Hound having an underwater fight with Rumble, and they've got Bumblebee and Ironhide cutting a water channel. Mm. So it's it's quite similar. But that's that, that essentially the the stories of the um. Of the cartoon and the comic never really matched up much. No, there was no real attempt to do that. They really went off in completely different directions <laughs> quite quickly. Which yeah. I think is fine. Probably worked in their favour anyway, because it meant that the the whole advertising crossovers, left, right and centres, hmm. wasn't, it wasn't just literally a straight out, oh, there's a comic of a toy, and this is the cartoon of the comic of the toy. Because it's like, hmm. well, no, this is a cartoon yeah. based loosely off a comic of a toy. Exactly, it allowed the comic to be a comic and the cartoon to be a cartoon and, yeah. and play to their strengths. Mm. The comic certainly seems to take its time a bit more by the by the sound of it. Yeah. That sounds like it all makes a ton more sense than what you see in the cartoon. It does. I mean, it doesn't c- completely, but yeah. It's, <laughs> no, I mean, it's no, it's not going to completely make sense. But, <laughs> I mean, I suppose even that thing about Pri- it's like Prime crashes on purpose into pre-civilization Earth. And it's like, well, I guess if yeah. there was a civilization there, he wouldn't have done it. And that explains the time gap. Hmm. It's like, this guy would not crash into a planet with an advanced civilization on it. So he'd be like irresponsible. And it also allows the Dinobots to be created yeah. in a kind of more sense- more sensible way. That's in a way. also true, yeah. Almost. Shockwave turns up on Earth looking for the Decepticons and Autobots that left in these ships. And the Teletran 1 comes online and reformats Uh, five Autobots into dinosaurs because they're the dominant life form at the time. That's what's around, yeah. No, they're not, but anyway... Yeah, I was I was gonna say I, mean, I know also, Galactos yeah. is gonna point out that, that as far as as far as um the timeline goes, it doesn't really make sense. I didn't I didn't, I didn't get a paleontology degree to be uh, to be told the timeline of dinosaurs from toys. Uh, it's always something that's rankled me. Good. Yeah, it is right that that four million years previous to 1984, there were not dinosaurs. And even the Reverend Usher and his uh, biblical uh, depiction of the timeline of the Earth does not say that four million years ago there were dinosaurs. Mm. Yeah, uh, anyway. I feel like they didn't think about it that much at all. <laughs> They're like, that sounds like a long time. Dinosaurs four million years, that's, yeah, that's enough. It's fine, I guess. But yeah, it isn't actually. It isn't particularly um, accurate. No. Actually, the writer Bob Badansky 
had a good excuse for his historical inaccuracy. That being that when Shockwave arrived on Earth, he landed in the Savage Land. This was established previously in Marvel Comics as a secret jungle paradise on the coast of Antarctica populated by various prehistoric creatures, created by aliens as some sort of experimental game reserve. In the comics, the Ark's computer modelled the Dinobots' alt modes after the creatures found in the Savage Land, rather than those that populated the rest of the Earth at the time. As discussed before, at the time of writing these stories, Transformers was set within the mainstream Marvel Universe. Um, but it is a more reasonable creation of the Dinobots than what happens in the cartoon. It's which is more internally consistent, isn't it? Yeah, in the cartoon they just dig up some, some dinosaur bones and go, oh, there used to be dinosaurs on Earth. Let's make some robots that turn into dinosaurs. Why? Well, we just will. And uh, we'll give them tiny brains on purpose. Yeah. Because... You know what would make this even better if they were real dumb? <laughs> I think that's another thing I misremember of them. I remember them going, well, we can't really make the brain that well, so they're going to be a bit thick. Okay. But... And it, might, it might be that. It might be that. But it was definitely kind of like a, a nod to the fact that dinosaurs were, were considered stupid. Yes. Yeah, it very much is that. Well, yeah. they had small brains. I think they did have small brains. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, did, they didn't have small brains. It's not really... Anyway, I'm not getting into that. <laughs> no, sure. Yeah. But I... That's a whole different podcast, people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the, the Dinobots were a lot more intelligent in the in the comic book than they were in the uh, oh, yeah. TV show. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Grim, didn't you say Grimlock run the message thing at the back? He wrote the letters. He answered the letters page for quite for like probably the the longest period. Yeah, yeah. He had a very long stint on. Uh, he was breaking the fourth wall all over the place, which is quite good. So yeah, that's that's how it happened in the comics, which is you know another thing entirely. But I, I did want to kind of like have a look at whether you know how much it married up. I did like the fact that they stuck with the idea that they thought cars were in charge for longer <laughs> and. Uh, Kind of milked it a bit, bit more. The idea that they're having a religious, a religious festival when it, they're watching this screen, watching a big movie screen, and they're like, "Why are they watching these images of these weird creatures on a big screen?" It's, it's strange. Yeah. That sounds so great. Well, like, they, they're aliens, so it sort of makes sense they wouldn't really get what was going on. Mm. I think they very rarely re- like revisit that type of concept of they think the cars or the the machines are. The dominant life form. I can't I can't think of any other show where they do that. Maybe maybe it gets brought up in like a nod and a wink. But yeah, no. I mean it's. It, I mean yeah. There is like we were talking the last episode. Well, it, would it be the last episode now? Maybe not. But the animated <laughs> episode we did recently, they do mention that, don't they? Right near the beginning, oh, they yes. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- they do make a nod to <laughs> the, the fact that they think vehicles are the dominant life form. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, I really like the I really like the fact that they're just kind of wandering around, <laughs> going, "Oh, let's talk to these cars." <laughs> oh, they're not talking back to us. I'm confused. Who's this weird little fleshy thing? Uh, I don't I don't understand it. I wanted to ask I want to ask you guys, like, out of the three of you, did you guys have um, a lot of these toys, like of the season one toys, if any? Well, Galactosh only had... Was it Gears? I had Gears before this came out. I then had a Hound. Mm-hmm. And then uh, sometime around after the film, I got a Galvatron. Hmm. I was much more a Star Wars toy kid. No. Now, I had all of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, apart from the big vehicles. Weren't that rich. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't really allowed to have multiple different franchises. So it was more mm. gifts... 
Like I was given a swoop when I was a kid by an aunt from uh, who was in America or was it Canada? One or the other. And then just a couple of the little ones, as it were. Yeah. Like I did spend my pocket money in 1988 or something like that. No, I spent my birthday money on getting all the protector books. Mm-hmm. And I look back on it because I chose not to buy the five last 16 of Star Wars toys that I didn't own. Really? Wow. Yeah, I bought the protector box instead. Because all of them that I didn't buy were different versions. Like R2, another R2-D2. I've got an R2-D2. Another Luke. I've got another Luke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was going, well, the protector box. I get all of them. And I made the wrong choice. I should have bought those toys. Well, I mean, that was the thing, though. At the time, we were really spoiled for choice. There were so many toy lines yeah. at the time, like, competing for your money. But, yeah, you yeah. didn't just buy one line and complete the line. You would, like, oh, I'm getting some Transformers. No. I'm going to get some Star Wars mm-hmm. stuff. I'm going to get some G.I. Joes <laughs> or Action Force, as they were known. And I've regretted it ever since. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, and then you played with them all together. Zoids, whatever, you know? But I, I had like about five Transformers by the end of the eight years. Well, if you count Protector Bots as one. So maybe I had nine Transformers. I only managed to get three Protector Bots. I had Hotspot, Streetwise, and First Aid. So I never got Groove and um, Blades to complete it. I got them all in a pack from w, uh, from uh, Woolies. Yeah, they did gift packs, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, I got yeah, them all in one box. Together, I think. Wow. I have... A lot of G1 toys, but I didn't have very many from the, the ver- you know, the very original range that you saw in this cartoon. Like, I had Prime, actually. Mm. So I don't know how that, that came about. Because um, I think I think, I think think it was quite a while after it had been originally available, and we sort of found it in some supermarket. It was something like that. Yeah. And then there was a jazz kicking around. All of these are broken. Now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had, like, Bumblebee, and I think I had a few of the little the minis. Yeah. But most... Stuff I've got is a bit later than this, I think. Probably a lot of combiners, pretenders, that sort of stuff. It's kind of nineteen eighty seven onwards, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. well we did a we did a little bonus podcast about your little collection in your loft. Oh yeah. But yeah, um I mean I had I had Skywarp. I think Skywarp was the first one I got and I Yeah, I had one of the jets actually. Yeah. It was sort of a brownish one. What he's called? Dirge? I think it's Dirge, yeah. I had Dirge. Yeah. Isn't that Thundercracker or whatever? No, Thundercracker's blue. I had, the red, I what's the red one? The red one. There's Thrust. There thrust, I think, is the red one. Ah, uh, yeah. The one that had a pointy head. Yes. You know, weren't meant to push it back down. The cone heads. Like the rest of them. Yeah, the cone yeah. heads. This is a way of making it look different. They were, they were bought out like a, a year or two after the first run. And they had slightly different wings, and you you were you were meant to leave. Well, you the TV show told you you were meant to leave their heads pointing upwards rather than uh, <laughs> folded back. You could do either. Yeah. <laughs> okay, before you at me on social media, I put my hands up. I got it wrong. The brownish one and the red one are probably both thrust, who is a sort of dark maroon color. Sorry, guys. But yeah, I mean, I had so I had I had Skywarp. And I think that was the first one I got. And I definitely got that way before I saw any of the TV show. Mm. And I had Soundwave and my brother had a few as well. So between us, we probably had over the entire period of G1, probably about, I don't know, before Action Masters came out, which I got massively into as a when I was way too old, really, to be into toys in a way. Um, <laughs> but before that, it was 44. 
<laughs> well now absolutely yeah but like yeah i i mean when i was like 13 14 15 when i really maybe should have been moving on to something else i was buying action masters but up until then probably about 20 or so between two of us like my other brother was way too young for transformers he was more into ghostbusters and so on because he's seven years younger than me but yeah uh i had mostly bad guys weirdly i'm not sure why Hmm. They were actually. I mean, I think they, a lot of them were really kind of fun toys. Yeah. Actually, but the Soundwave was always one of the best because I guess because of his cassette thing, yeah, as much as everything else. Yeah, but I mean, I think the Jets were good, mm. and also I think also like that. I mean, we were saying they gave more personalities to the Autobots, but like the ones they did bother with for the Decepticons were actually like very memorable as well. Like Starscream's great, Soundwave's great. Yeah. Megatron. I think the Megatron toy looks kind of stupid. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's not a really good toy. He looks like he's straddling something. <laughs> it does. Yeah. In, in Micro Change, they did a bunch of. There are like a bunch of these guns. Actually, I think they did like a small series of replica guns. There's like four or five of them at yeah, least. Yeah, they did a few. I, I saw some pictures of these, and Megatron's easily the stupidest looking one. <laughs> You're right. Some of the others actually look really great. Megatron sort of looks, he looks all sort of out of proportion and weird. Well, Megatron's isn't he based on a Luger? Yeah, yeah. and he's got, he's got a crotch trigger as well, which doesn't help. <laughs> Who does? <But>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of had that rifle accessory, those rifle accessory bits that came with the toy. So I, I wonder if that was the reason that they already had. This. It was based on the gun from the man from Uncle. Hmm. Oh, that's a wolf of PPK then. That's a weird detail. Yeah. Uh, so they, which is which is ripped off of Bond. Yeah. So anyway, for some reason they based a toy. I think he was like a special edition in the uh, Microchange line that was meant to be the gun from Man from Uncle, and they used that one for Megatron Thor. For some reason, maybe because he had all the accessories like the uh, the scope and so on. I, th- I think yeah, that's that's mm. my that's my guess because that that made it a more fun thing to play. And with. it made you you could charge more for it, and it was more of a premium figure yeah. for the ba- for the bad guy leader. I think if you see the others, it's just like a, you see it in a box. It's just the pistol, mm. and then it would turn into. A robot. So uh, yeah, that probably is why. But I think the robot mode looks looks quite yeah. silly, <laughs> and it's weird that such a silly looking robot toy has been you know turned into a character which has had like gone on for such a long time. Yeah, and also caused so many problems uh, as a result because of what he turns into. The controversy, yeah. The... It's like oh, orange yeah. caps. <laughs> they, yeah, you. you you can't sell a Megatron toy that turns into a gun in the US anymore. It's not. It's never because it looks like a replica. It looks too much like a real yeah, gun. It's never going to happen. Yet you can buy a gun down a toy shop. So you can buy proper guns down toy shops. <laughs> you can, yes. But... What is their point? <laughs> you can go down to Walmart and buy yourself a shotgun. But you can't go down Walmart and buy yourself a Megatron. What does that say? But there were there were some instances of kids playing with Megatron and and cops mistaking them for having real guns and almost shooting yeah. them yeah almost yeah i don't know if they actually shot a kid but they definitely almost happened it might have actually happened but i don't i don't know if it did mm-hmm. actually happen but yeah it was mm. it was definitely like right we're not doing this not this is not allowed well i suppose like actually because there are a lot more guns in america and they're more normal to have and police carry them it actually makes having replica looking guns like more of a problem mm. Than, than that's exact. That's exactly why. This is just a toy. It's obviously just a toy because you can't really get guns. Mm. It's not a problem in Japan. They they make um, no. They, they did um, a replica water pistol of Megatron recently. Yeah, like, a few years ago. Yeah, <laughs> and it was fine. You know, no orange cap or anything. 
Sorry, they did a water. They did a water pistol Megatron. Why have I not got one? Oh well, uh, look it up. Uh, it's quite. How do we get? It's this? quite expensive, but you know, you can you can you can try and find one. Oh. But yeah, I mean, yeah, they right. did a masterpiece. They did two masterpiece versions that both turned into into guns. So, but they had to come in robot mode just in case customs decided to open. Uh, them. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, when they were shipping them overseas, they. Yeah, they deliberately put it in in the box in robot mode, and they put an orange cap in the end as well. Like, yeah, the orange cap. Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, that's essentially it. Um, yeah, I mean, you brought it up, Dave. Um, you didn't. You obviously didn't have. Did you have any G one toys growing up at all? Nope. Uh, I only had. <laughs> I think I had some knockoffs. Mm. Um, but I don't. I didn't have any any G one toys. No. I still don't. I still don't think I've actually interacted with a real non-reissue G1 toy. Oh. Yeah. Well, they're not hard to find. No. No, but they normally... Just make sure you're not picking pieces. up a go-bot. You'll be mm. fine. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I have a single one from the original... The, particularly the original range, like the ones that were in this cartoon that is in one piece. Yeah. Um, like, Prime is smashed. Jazz is definitely broken. I have a Prowl. I think at least his back window bit has come off. Um... <laughs> I think there's a mirage. He's in bits. I've still got some of these bits in boxes, but like they're all broken. Well, they're missing crucial stickers. Any of the ones that I've got, they're intact. I've got later from car boot sales. I've got gears. It's impossible to break gears. Yeah, gears was almost a solid piece of plastic. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think they were so a bit. That's not like, going anywhere. Maybe a little bit easier to break some of those than, than some of the later ones that came along. Mm. The, the those little chibi style. Um, Minibots were quite indestructible, weren't they? So, well, no, quite... Bumblebee. Mm. I've seen a few of them broken, particularly the feet. The head had come off Bumblebee quite easily, I'd say. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but where, where, whereas Gears is literally two moving parts, three moving parts. Yeah, yeah. The, some of them are like some of them are a bit a bit more solid. Any anything else you want to talk about before I wrap it up? Yeah, I've I've got actually. There's something I noticed, which I sort of I don't think we've really raised, which is like kind of how weird some of the dialogue is in this. Mm-hmm. And I was actually I was actually looking at the um the famous Danbridge scene, which I think actually is still one of the things that you know. If when I thought about this, which I called in my head arrival from Cybertron, yeah, until fairly recently when I realised that wasn't actually what it was called. Um, the Danbridge scene is really one of the things that like just jumps back into my head, and I, I was just looking. I got I found the script online, and this is what it's this is what it's actually like. Optimus Prime, you destroy everything you touch, Megatron. Megatron, because everything I touch is food. Want my hunger? My hunger for power. Optimus Prime, no, I'm going to end your hunger once and for all. Megatron, almost Prime, but almost doesn't get the job done. Can't stop me. Optimus Prime, you're old, Megatron. Yesterday's model. Ready for the scrap heap. <laughs> Megatron, we'll see who's ready for the scrap heap. Optimus Prime, junk. <laughs> junk. <laughs> and I, I think it's quite like, a strange... Yeah, I wrote down about that because it just sounds like some, some schoolboy in the playground going, <laughs> Man, no! <laughs> Yeah, it's very, it's quite childish. Um, but also the thing where he says, everything I touch is food. Definitely <laughs> <laughs> offbeat. <laughs> because everything I touch is food for my hunger. My hunger for power! 
be honest, I'm pretty sure that's what Jeffrey Dahmer said as well. <laughs> well, Megatron's not a serial killer, no matter what else he might be. <laughs> maybe he's got maybe he's got delusions. He was once a noble freedom fighter. Well, uh, anything else anyone wants to uh, discuss before I do an outro? Yeah, actually, I did have one more. I had one more little go, which is that I, I noticed that. You know, we do this. This is like one. This is the original origin story, and it comes back again and again that it's a sort of essentially an energy crisis on Cybertron, sparked by the war, or like created by the war that, that kind of sets sets all these events in motion. But actually, I was looking at something about the the Takara lines, and they actually one of the important things that led to the creation of I think the Diaclone range, or maybe the, the Microman range, was that they had to shrink the size down because of an oil crisis. They didn't yep. have enough oil to make plastic, so I thought it was a weird little like synchronicity. Yeah, it's like without that seventies oil crisis, there probably wouldn't be Transformers. Mm. And then they they wrote a story that was sort of about uh, an alien energy crisis. Mm. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if that was in their heads. I, I mean, probably not, but may, maybe it was a bit more topical. It was the kind of thing people might have been been thinking about. Yeah, recent history. I don't know. I just thought it was odd. I was like, oh yeah, this is. And the whole the whole thing is like there's a lot of stuff about you know they're always in a power plant or an oil rig or a, somewhere they make mm. energy or have a lot of fuel or, or like perhaps a ruby crystal mine in Burma. <laughs> it's, it's it's very it's very energy heavy, isn't it? It's all yeah. about energy. And every yeah. every all the human characters work in energy production. <laughs> mm. Well, it's very pertinent for today, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's exactly what's happening today. There's a there's a war going on and there's a bit of a fuel crisis. It's like one of the things we always return to as as humans. So what you're saying is that we 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 should look at um, arrival from Cybertron as a, a as an allegory for our time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it seems it seems to be yeah. something that comes around about every ten years. And it's all about it's all about fuel and war. Yeah. It's, it's at least as coherent as arrival from Cybertron. This theory. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's why Transformers stuck around on the basis that um, this uh, the same conflict and same thing has never gone away, mm-hmm. and uh, you know always makes it so I yeah. touch into that the current yeah, generation. I think Transformers is ripe for a uh, a reimagining based around this concept. Well, get round to watching the rest of the Michael Bay film. Oh, yeah, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Well, it's getting late, and we all best get to bed before Father Christmas pays us a visit. So that's it for the Arg My Optics Christmas party. It's been a blast, right? Wasn't it great having all of our guest hosts together for the first time? Uh, what are your thoughts on Arrival from Cybertron? Or on what we had to say about it? Please let us know in the comments and on social media. Find me at, at @gearorion and Orion underscore gear on Twitter and Instagram, respectively. Dave, what are your social media handles? Uh, you can always find me at VirtualDave26 on Instagram or Twitter. Great. Uh, let's go around the table and thank our wonderful guests. Uh, Virtual Amy, thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me. No problem. Galactosh, long time no see. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be back. I hope everyone has a lovely Christmas and a happy new year. Um, and Michael Quintesson, this is getting a bit of a habit. Uh, thanks for coming along. <laughs> Uh, an absolute pleasure, and I hope to be back for the time when you force us to watch all of the Michael Bay films and talk about them. 
<laughs> oh, I'm up for that. Oh, well, that, that's a, that's an episode in the making. Absolutely. Right, well, don't forget that if you enjoyed this podcast, you can let us know by liking, subscribing, sharing, reviewing, etc., etc. We really appreciate that. Not only that, but if you want to show your appreciation with actual money, go to www.patreon.com slash argmyoptics. Don't forget the double A. Thanks for listening. Have a very Merry Christmas and please join us next time on All Together Now. Optics! Optics! Optics!